Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. As always, I am Brad. I'm joined by Alex. Alex, say hello. Hello. And we are the official podcast of the MTG at Home Discord server. And we have other news. We are officially part of the affiliate program and content creation, I guess, artist page, whatever, on inkedgaming.com. So if you want to check out some wonderful merch at the moment, just play mats, you can go ahead and hit the link in the description. And we also have an affiliate link as well that just helps us out as a way to support the cast. Even if you don't buy our products on uh, Ink Gaming, click the link and you buy anything, whether it's custom sleeves, tokens, whatever, we get a little bit of that and that helps and goes a long way towards uh, paying our editor, um, going to get more equipment for us, like new mics, things like that, and uh, other stuff as well. But we have beautiful art. Uh, we have this amazing banner art that showcases Alex and I playing some magic at a table with onlookers behind us, uh, Kethis, Bolas, Nissa, and the uh, Monastery of Swissphere. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited. It's really great. We're pretty excited. This is really cool. And uh, yeah, I already got mine. It's on its way. Yeah, I felt I felt a little bit vain, but I bought like uh, merchandise with myself on it. <laughs> but I guess for me, it's slightly excused because the I don't don't know if you did this on purpose, Brad. But the place where I sit on the mat is usually the place where you put your deck. So like, if you're playing, you don't see me, but you see you. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's not purpose at all. I was like, uh, I mean, so if you're lefty, you might have the uh, the uh, thing on the uh, left hand side, right? True. I mean, my girl, my girlfriend told me like, just put your playmat upside down. It's like, yeah, but then I'm gonna see myself, but upside down. And to be honest, it might be good if I don't look at myself the whole time playing. <laughs> Alex, why, why are you slow playing? I'm sorry, I was admiring myself. <laughs> You can just put the deck over Bolus's face. True. Don't think you'd like that, though. I know. You know how he is. Well, he's in the he's in the prison realm. Was he in the do? shadow realm? Um, uh-huh. Fair enough. Oh, and we got uh we got some nice fatal push uh, art in the background too that I'm a big fan of. So yeah, I I thought about making that fatal push art instead of it being a poster. I thought about making it a uh, a window and just sad Karn on the outside looking in. <laughs> I was very close. Just like, why wasn't I invited? <laughs> I'm rusting out here. It's raining. <laughs> <laughs> but we have some stuff to go over for this week. Uh, we have a lot, a lot. Oh, my God. A lot of questions from the Pioneer perspective. Mailbag. Ding, ding, ding. To kind of go through. Oh, my God. We've ne- been neglecting it for a month. <laughs> it, it Initially, we had some questions. Then it went a little bit slow. And we didn't get too many questions, so we kind of like forgot about it. And then at one point, we were like, Brad, yeah, we have a lot of questions to catch up on. And a few weeks ago, we promised we'd do a catch-up episode. Um, positively or negatively, there is not too much to talk about when it comes to call time. So we thought now would be a good opportunity to catch up with as much of the mailbag as we can, because the next few weeks, we'll probably be talking a lot more about call time, and we'll have less time to catch up. And by the time it gets to March, we should probably not have questions from December anymore. Yeah. So there you go. But speaking of Kaldheim, you said there's not a whole lot to talk about, but there were a few new cards being tried out in existing decks. Downside is we do not have any, at least as of yet, any new archetypes spawned out of this. So new, no oops all spells types of thing. Or um, what is the other recent one that was brand new? 
Well, with four color Omnath. Oh yeah, four color Omnath, of course. You know, Zendikar gave us four color Omnath. Um, oops, all spells. Oops, all spells. We recently saw sort of the revival of mono red aggro. Yeah. And this week we haven't seen any new decks yet. Now it's obviously this is uh, Kaldheim released on Arena and Magic Gathering Online, I believe, on Friday or Thursday. It is now Monday. Yeah, the twenty eighth. So we haven't had that much time. There's even a chance it, the cards are just harder to get. I believe a lot of the um, rental services on NTGO like only allow you to like get cards from a new set like a week after release or something, unless you've been like subscribed for an X amount of months or you pay an X amount. So maybe there's just some people who literally cannot get their hands on Kaldheim cards. Mm-hmm. So I expect it to go a little bit wilder like next week or the week after. Yeah, I saw uh, a few people that I uh, uh, follow on Twitter and kind of keep up with some MTGO grinders and they're all just tweeting like the day of call time and approaching the uh, challenges. They're like, hey, if you have these cards, I will pay literally double the price of what they're worth on MTGO. Yeah. Like if you've just pulled them to like, we, I need these cards, especially like the pathways and stuff. Yeah, I saw some lists that like like Blue White Spirits running like eight planes, seven islands and no pathways and i'm like this person is either drunk or wasn't able to get pathways so and i know it was a call time list because they were all snow covered yes speaking of snow covered our good friend traft uh did play his uh trusty spirits in the most recent uh challenges and he was running the snow covered uh planes and islands as well and i was like is he trying something spicy no 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 no. he's just running up because he can no some people are just making the statement i think like, see, wizards, you messed up. Basics aren't valuable anymore. We just run snow-covered basics now. I do like the idea of what um, April brought up on Twitter that you brought up uh, last week in regards to um, that rule change. Yeah, like, just give us an emblem with just a snowflake on it. Yeah. And be like, I'm just going to put this like on, on like where I put my companion or something and be like, here, here, like. I'm snow covered now. Like I just, yeah. you'd be able to do something like that. But I, I guess it wouldn't like fit the aesthetic or something. Like it'd be weird for draft because you need to actually pick snow covered lands in draft. Mm-hmm. But we're not here to talk about draft. I hate draft. I'm here to talk about pioneer. So I'm gonna, which is gonna go over some of the, the all the cards. Sounds like a lot, but it's only ten or nine. Uh, all the cards from call time that showed up in the challenge of the thirtieth and the thirty first. And I'll quickly talk about what deck I saw them in, and we could talk about, like, you know, good fit, not a good fit, what do we think of it, etc. Yeah. So, the first one we'll talk about is Valky, God of Lies. I immediately want to chip in one thing, because Valky has great rules text. Um, there is... You know they sometimes put in, like, joke rule text, like how Jade Light's Ranger says, like, act surprised if you explore into the same card, otherwise Jade Light Ranger will be sad? Yes. Oh, my favorite, my personal favorite is Gruel Spellbreaker. Or no, it's not, it's, it's not, it's any Riot card. And it's like, you can choose... Yeah, just like, don't tell the Gruel what to do. Yeah, you can choose Haste twice. The Valky one says, oh, God, wow, he has a lot of rules text. <laughs> um, Thank God. Good fine, but he says something like, if you pay the X, but there's no card underneath. He doesn't transform. God of Lies indeed. <laughs> like, there's something like that That's cute. in the rules text. Anyway, Valky showed up in two different decks. Uh, it showed up in Rectal's Midrange, or Rectal's Pyromancer, Rectal's Arcanist, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. where it feels like a pretty obvious home, right? It's especially with Arcanist and Pyromancer, the deck already has a lot of high-priority targets. So there's a very very reasonable chance your opponent just doesn't have the time to dedicate like a removal spell to Valky if they have first been like removing your pyromancers, removing your arcanists, etc. 
Uh, feels like a very natural fit. And the other deck that showed up is Niftalite. And that actually makes it quite funny because Niftalite had the same thing. Um, we have talked about this before, but I will repeat it because set's not been out for that long. If you tutor up Valky with Niftalite, you can then choose to cast Tybalt because he goes to exile. And then from exile, you cast it without paying its mana cost. And when you do that, so you don't put him onto the battlefield, you cast him for free. And when a card, like with Cascade or Niftalite, uh, Bring to Light, says that, you can pick whichever side comes up and gets cast for free. And that means you can bring your Loki, uh, Loki, <laughs> uh, you can bring your Tybalt out for five mana rather than seven. And I guess it's a pretty good seven mana Planeswalker. Uh, five mana Planeswalker, excuse me. Yeah. And we talked about this before. Like, I literally asked you, I was like, hey, what if Tybalt was five mana? And you're like, yeah, playable. It actually might be really, really good. Suddenly. And Bring to Light players went like, what do you mean, what if? <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually quite nice because Valky's only two mana. You can even do this with, like, less than five colors with your Niv, which is always a nice thing. Yeah. Like, sometimes in Niv, you might get stuck. You've only got four colors. And then Valky is actually, Valky slash Tybalt is actually a really nice card to tutor up because it's just an exceptionally powerful card. And it actually means that your Bring to Light can get you a Planeswalker, which it normally can't. Um, Brad's really pulling a face. I know. I, I know it's. Uh... You guys can't see it, but you might be able to sense this face through the audio. That's how disturbed it looks. Yeah, I know it's the first week of release and this always happens, but if you want Tybalt. On uh, on MTGO, no, you don't. It's sixty seven ticks. <laughs> Tabletop is thirty three bucks. Yikes! Yeah. If I buy Valky, I'd buy the one that looks like the Joker that laughs anyway. Which for some reason is probably like fifteen dollars in Tabletop. Like that. That's have you noticed that? Like the regular version of cards are like way more than like the fancy versions. Like I bought the uh, the showcase Omnaths. Yeah, because people buy like the collector boosters and stuff where you can find them. Yes. So yeah, I bought the uh, showcase Omnaths from uh, Zenicar for my four color rec, and uh, at the time, regular Omnath was like. I want to say 70 bucks for a playset, and I got my playset for 40 bucks for the showcase. And I was like, these are fancier. Why are these cheaper? <laughs> <laughs> and now he's like four bucks a piece. And I'm like, oh no. Oops. Oh well. Anyway, so Valky, again, there's not much to talk about here. He shows up in Rectals, very natural fit, a deck that can definitely go longer. So the, um, again, it's a deck that cares more about Valky. Then it cares about Tybalt, I would assume, considering the mana cost. Where Niftalite probably like it's kind of equal, right? It, it doesn't mind casting the Valky early, but tutoring up the Tybalt is actually like kind of like reasonable and will probably happen a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, it'll probably happen more often than you should, just because you now want to play with the new card, shiny. Yes, my new shiny toy. Moving on to the next card. Now this one surprised me a little bit. And it probably shouldn't have, but it did. And it's Vorinclex showing up in Mono Green Planeswalkers. Mm -hmm. Now, Brad, did you, like me, totally not realize that he was worded exactly like Doubling Season? Oh, I did. I just thought it was like, you know... I mean, it's exceptionally win more, which is like still what I think. Like, if you could stick like a Colossal Dreadmall worth of stacks and uh, stats and untap, like, you're probably in a pretty good spot anyway. Yeah. And I still feel like that's the case, but I'll be honest, I completely glanced over the fact 
that it actually um, works like a doubling season. So like your Nissa immediately ults, uh, which is the main one because your Karn just enters with a boatload of loyalty. And I guess you can immediately tutor with Vivian, but that's like not the most impactful thing ever compared to like a Nissa ultimate. Makes your Hydra really big too, I suppose. What is interesting about Vorinclex, and this is probably why he sees a lot of press, which he probably shouldn't get in Pioneer necessarily, but in Standard, we really see that like most removal spells are actually sagas, with the two main ones being uh, Bind the Old Gods and Elspeth Conquers Death. And the way Vorinclex is worded, where your opponent gets like half the counters rounded down, it means sagas just don't work sagas enter with zero loyalty uh, zero counters on them yeah and they will never gain them as long as vorinclex is on the field so some people have just described him as like this guy's just a six mana six six hexproof indestructible because all remove all the removal just doesn't hit him and then turns out he's pretty good hmm. now in who would have thought a, a trample haste six six for six would be uh decent and playable yeah he does have haste that's better than the dread mall i just described but he seems a little bit win more compared to a card like Elder Gargaroth. And we still saw lists with Elder Gargaroth uh, on the 31st. We saw lists with like one Foreign Clex uh, in it, which is more understandable. I can imagine he even becomes like a Vivian Tudor target or something uh, for the right decks because he's a very powerful card. But I, I still feel like. In some matchups, though, Foreign Clex just, just slaps. Like, yeah, but I mean, again, it's a very big green card. Your average, like, six mana, six, six haste trample probably slaps. Yeah. Like, there's probably some matchups where you can say, like, yeah, Carnage Tyrant would be insane here. And it's like, yeah, but you're still not going to run Carnage Tyrant because of those matchups. Yeah, it makes me sad. Carney T deserves more love. He does, actually. Even though I kind of hate him, I, I have grown to like him <laughs> because he's like, he used to, like, like haunt me in my dreams. But now he's like, I, I see Carnage Time. And I'm like, oh, you're not that scary anymore. <laughs> I can appreciate you now. Foreign Clex just eats him. But I do, I do like it sort of flavor-wise that the sagas don't work with Foreign Clex because Phyrexians don't care about your history. They don't like your bedtime stories. Like they just want to eat you. Yeah, uh, yeah. This this is a really cool one. So Foreign Clex, big boy, uh, super snowbally. Again, if you untap with Foreign Clex, you just play a Nissan, just instantly alter. Or you know what? Make a 6 6 land, I guess, on your 12 mana, a 12 loyalty Nissa. Pretty powerful. Especially that you get to ult Nissa and she's still there. Does it work that way with the uh, Planeswalkers? If you would put one or more counters on a permanent. Yeah, they enter with double. It's really strange, but I've, I literally just cop- I had a hard time comparing, so I just got a Word document. And I copy-pasted the rules text of Vorinclex and Doubling Season, so I could like compare word by word. And I think there was like a one-word difference, but I saw like a whole bunch of people on... I mean, yes, it was on Reddit, but I, I tried to look it up, and all I could see is like people pointing out, like, yeah, it works that way, and some people reference the rules, and like hmm. I haven't really heard the contrary. And I also wouldn't understand how this card otherwise sees play. Like it's a doubling season on legs. Why else would you play it? You don't put you don't play this so your voracious hydras get larger. Because some of the lists with Vorinclex didn't even run the Hydra. Oh my god. Just choose double on Hydra after Vorinclex. Nice. Yeah, double double. So he en- it, it's hilarious. You put you got the Hydra. Let's say cast him for X equals five. He enters with ten, right? Instead of the five. Then you choose to double, and instead of gaining ten, I think he gains twenty. So you cast a Hydra for five, and it enters with 30 counters. And then it gets Fatal Pushed. (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hydra, you caused me so much pain. Vorinclux is sweet, though. Actually, if you cast a Hydra for X equals 2, becomes 4, then becomes 12, which would only cost you 4 mana for a 12-13 trample. That's disgusting. That's some stats. I mean... Math. If you play mon- if you like playing mono green, you probably also like math, and Matt does. So I guess it adds. I up. mean, even Check just like I was even thinking like if you already had like a Vivian on board and you have some dorks, and then you play Vorinclex, even in that scenario, oh, they become big boys. Yeah, you just plus Vivian. She double. Uh, she gets a double loyalty counters on that. Cool, and then all your elves get double counters, and you're like, ha ha. <laughs> or you can just put them all on Vorinclex. He already has trample, so now he he becomes a ten ten, right? Yeah. Yes. He becomes a 10-10 haste trample on entry with Vivian. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> big boy. Yeah, that's terrifying. Vorinclex is a big boy. By the way, funny how this card and like its wording, because doubling season is a bit of a strange card, right? Yeah. And people are often like, wait, this works that way. Now imagine you go to your FNM once you can. You bring your Phyrexian oh, man. scriptures, Vorinclex, and you tell your opponent, yeah, this makes my planeswalkers enter with double loyalty. Judge! And your opponent's going to be like, I call bullshit on that one. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I love, I hope they do more Phyrexian script type of cards and just or things just like that. Like, they're so cool. I, I'm not sure. I like the Elish Norn. I think Elish Norn was the only one before, right? It was just the Elish Norn. There's also that swamp. Oh yeah, yeah. There's not the swamp. It makes it super novel that there's very few cards that do that. And let's say next time when we finish like the Praetor cycle, which I'm sure will be soon enough. Like they'll probably show up elsewhere, right? We're not gonna get just foreign Praetor's secret layer where they just have all of them in Phyrexian. Yeah, but then it kind of takes the novelty away, doesn't it? Well, you know they're gonna do it. <laughs> Of course they will, but it does. Oh, this is the testing ground. They're testing the Vorinclex to see people's res- like response and feedback on the Phyrexian thing. Why would they? They know people love this. Yeah, but like they're just like, hey, this might be a, something cool. Speaking of secret layers, mine's shipping. It's like it's like a ima- it, like imagine if like Coca Cola did like some sort of thing like, oh, we're gonna have an event and we're gonna just give people regular Coca Cola, see if they still like it course they do what the hell <laughs> you don't need to test this they're gonna give you coca-cola no it's more like coca-cola is bringing back the old cocaine recipe and giving you that <laughs> do people still like this yes i do <laughs> yes it's delicious but moving on because we've only talked about two cards so esper yorion had five of the new cards of the uh, three of the new ten excuse me putting us up to five uh it had King Narfi's Betrayal, which is the card that mills every each player, and then you get the cast cards, which were exiled through this effect in the coming turns. Nice bit of value. Um, Feria's Retribution, which is the one we've probably all seen in Standard. It makes angels, then makes your angels tap to kill things, and then gives your angels double strike. And Redain, God of the Worthy, which is our Snow Hate card. Now, the next day... Because this was on the list of the 30th. On the 31st, another Esper Yorion deck showed up, and it had cut all those cards except for Fear's Retribution, which probably tells you something. They were all one-offs before, so it really felt like this bit of like one-off, fun-off experimentation. But then the Angel one's actually pretty decent. Which I guess it is in a Yorion deck, right? Yeah. Like, you can go turn three, like, like worst-case scenarios, like turn three, put Yorion in your hand, turn four, play this, turn five, play Yorion, blink it, make another 4-4. Four, four. But even that's like pretty okay if you've been interacting and like if you push something the first turn, like 
eliminate something the second turn, and then turn three, four, five, that's your curve. That's probably pretty decent. The other ones seem exceptionally mediocre. Like, it's... I mean, the snow hate card is like, what snow? Perhaps. At least so far. Yeah, I don't know if this guy was going, like, big brain moment. He's like, I'm going to see all these snow cards, and they're just not going to expect them to get hated out. Snow lands your opponent control, enter the battlefield tapped. This person was just big braining all these people who were like, oh, snow lands are free, her, and just replaced all their basics with snow basics for no reason. And then this guy came in, it's like, and now they all enter tap. <laughs> like they were probably just doing that. That's actually kind of funny. Which I guess means that if your deck has literally zero reason to run snow, you shouldn't because people are going to mess you up with this card. <laughs> I, would, I would laugh. <laughs> True. I'd be like, fair game to you, dude. You big brain me. I'm, I'm not as good as, uh, at magic as you are. Then uh, in the sideboard of a four-color Omnath deck, we saw everyone's favorite card to hit with Tybalt's Trickery in standard. Coma uh, Cosmos Serpent, which is just our big boy snake that makes three threes on every upkeep. This probably is just like for the mirror when it's like, we need to go bigger. And this is just like the biggest card ever. And your opponent can't mystical dispute it. It's just like... Yeah, they're just hitting like the nuclear button. Like we need to go much larger, and you just like play this. It doesn't seem to fill a particular role, rather than being big. But then again, this card doesn't fit another role. It, it's just big. Um, we saw the Azorius Pathway in Spirits because, of course. Then there were two copies of Snakeskin Veil in a mono green Stompy deck. Again, I'm kind of reaching here, but I thought I could talk about literally every card because there's not that many. This is just a Blossoming Defense, but instead of a Temporal plus 2 plus 2, it's a 1-1 one, one counter instead. It's it's decent, right? It's it's fine for a, for a Mono Green Shell. I suppose you'd want this over Blossoming Defense, because you keep around a permanent buff, which is probably more useful than the temporary buff. And we saw two Sagas, which last two we'll talk about, show up in Fires, which was the Raven's Warning, which is, uh, top of my head, the one that makes a 1-1 one, one bird. 3 mana. Then if you hit your opponent, you can peek. So you look at their hand draw card. And the third chapter is just that you put a you wish board, you just wish for a card and it goes on the top of your deck. Yep. But at worst, it's just, it makes a token that you can like transmogrify away. And speaking of tokens to transmogrify away, the other card was in multiple lists a 4 of. I believe this card is the, aside from the land, but that's cheating, the only non-land card to be ran as a four-off coming from Call Time. There was a lot of one-offs. Raven's Warming was too. Oh, Raven's Warming was a four-off too. Okay, so those yep. are the, this is the only deck to actually feature full four-offs from uh, Fires, and this one is Esika's Chariot, which is the one with the adorable cat art, which is like two cats in a chariot, at least one cat in a chariot, and I think the other one's kind of chilling. Um, just a four-mana vehicle. Comes in, gives you two cat tokens, and then crew four. And when it attacks, you get to copy one of your tokens, which is pretty nice. It's just good value. It curves nice with fires. Yeah, you swing in on certain things. It just You just go fires, make two tokens. I've got this vehicle around. The vehicle's pretty reasonable, right? Crew four, hits for four. If you still have any tokens around, you get more. It's like pretty good value. The type of thing that fires would want. And that's it for what showed up in the challenges. Not a very long list. What is with this sideboard for, uh, uh, like, I mean, interesting. So 
the fires list in the um, challenge, I guess they're really going all in on that wish aspect of Raven's Warning because now their sideboard is effectively a wish board. Uh, some of these also run um, Fey of Wishes. Does that one? Nope, just Agent of Treachery, only creature. Oh yeah, of course, because with Transmogrify you can't. Yeah. The other ones were just the more traditional uh, other fires list. Yeah, it's, uh... yeah, I guess they've gone all... I mean, if you run four of them... <laughs> then you just have four Dovin's Veto, the rest are one-ofs. It's great. You're kind of wishing a lot. So, well, I definitely want to bring in the Dovin's Veto for a lot of matchups. Otherwise, I will gladly use the wish. I love how there's a one-of Luca and the uh, Cyborg. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. This is not your deck anymore, Luca. It's the Transmogrify deck. <laughs> Which, by the way, we did see this deck. No, not this deck. We saw a Fires deck win the uh, Pioneer Invitational. Yes, but that was just a uh, Jeskar Planeswalkers deck, effect. Did we talk about that for the... No, that was bef- the day before our last one. So, if you want to check out the seven and a half hour Pioneer Invitational that Alex and I recently uh, casted a couple weeks ago, yeah. Go do that. It's on YouTube, on uh, MTG at Home's uh, YouTube channel. We uh, we endured it. It was great, though. A lot of fun, super cool games, and it was uh, really fun. It was great. It did make us rethink our tournament structure. Yes. Because we used to do just like an FNM type of setup. We didn't feel that was particularly fitting for something that's supposed to be a championship. So we did a round robin. So uh, Sorry, a double elimination. Yep. So untimed double elimination. Which ended up, instead of three to four hours, took seven and a half. Seven hours and 27 minutes exactly is how long the VOD ran. Now, to be fair, we did the same thing for Popper. The day before ran four hours and 35 minutes, which is about an hour and a half longer than it usually ran uh, before in the old structure. And they did the same exact thing. Double elimination, same amount of players, same amount of rounds, that kind of thing. Um, I don't think we'll ever see it go further or longer than what we had for Pioneer. We had five out of the eight decks being control or mid-range. Yeah, we had a dirtle fest in half of our... I mean, people would think like, oh yeah, Pioneer is this like aggro combo format that just ends way too soon because the interaction isn't good enough for the combos. Watch that vault, or rather, put the vault on, go to bed, and notice you've woken up before the vault ends. Yeah. Like, that, that is how long the tournament took. It was a long one. And then, and then go back to the start and actually watch it because the matches were really good. Oh, yeah, they were great. Like, just don't sleep through it. I made timestamps so you can you can go and skip around to the matches and stuff and skip all the uh, pregame and, like, uh, analysis, all that good stuff. If you want to watch the analysis, because Alex and I are brilliant minds... And you're more than welcome to hear our beautiful thoughts and get a wonderful insight for these decks. But uh, I felt very smart when I know to stay lethal. <laughs> when a player missed lethal, and I was like, you've got lethal, dude. And I'm not going to spoil anything, except for the fact that I noticed that lethal. And then about an hour later, or an hour and a half later, the exact same situation came up. Yeah. And I didn't see it. And then the player did. And I was like... Why are they doing... Oh, it's because of that thing I pointed out an hour ago. You noticed that we uh, we hit a wall around like hour six is uh, when we kind of start dying a bit. Except the end. Uh-huh. Fireworks. Again, no spoilers. The end. Yeah, the end The end got us pretty hype up, or hyped up that, that last match. Not going to say anything else, but it was absolute fireworks. It was great. Would you put it above the... Uh... 
Boros Burn uh, Rakdos Pyromancer matchup? I'm not sure, because that was just a exceptionally well-played match. Not saying our finals wasn't played well, but God, that ending was exciting. Yes. Like, I was just jumping up over, especially when a specific card was top-decked, which, again, we will not talk about, but Brad and I both saw a specific card being top-decked, <laughs> and <great>. we <laughs> lost our shit. Like, it was so good. It was incredibly fun. All right, but... Are there any other cards that you've heard people perhaps talk about, maybe that you've been thinking about from Call Time that you expect to either show up in like tier decks or at least like are gonna see play moving forward? Um, yeah, I'm not really sure. Uh, I have been, haven't been able to play too much besides like some of the Azorius control. Um, I do think that Doomscar is still gonna be an amazing card in the format. Um, we're probably just not seeing it right now because. Who wants to play a control deck in a quote unquote new format? Yeah. You know, like once the dust kind of settles, we'll we'll get those lists kind of refined and see what the meta is going to shake up as. And who knows? This is only the first week. Um, again, Alex already said it came out. Yeah, the first week doesn't mean anything yeah. really. It came out the 28th, which is last Thursday, which means that players had three days to get their cards together for like if they wanted to play them on the Sunday challenge, not even just the Saturday challenge, too. So that's really hard to do, especially on Moto when a new set drops. So the possibility of us having new archetypes... Especially because the drafting's now mostly done on Arena. Yeah. So the cards just don't get onto Moto that fast. Exactly. Which is a real problem, by the way. Like, this Arena-MTGO split is really, like, hurting MTGO because new cards from the sets just aren't getting onto the format, uh, onto the program. There's just literal cards that just, like... Yeah, they're just yeah. not there. And people don't usually crack packs on there. They they want to buy their singles or use rental services. These rental services don't want to buy a bunch of product to try and like recoup their money and then like rent the cards out and stuff like that. Which I mean they they can over time, but like you're operating at a loss for probably the first month. Not maybe not a month, that might be an exaggeration. And you're operating with like the knowledge that I don't know, like Pioneer could drop on Arena in the summer. And you're going to lose even more customers. Yeah. And maybe eventually we get modern someplace else, maybe on Arena. That's going to be a while, though. But, like, you know, your format's going to only run on modern and legacy and vintage. And it's like, is that enough to warrant, like, cracking so many product now when, like, five months down the line, you're going to have all this call time product that nobody cares about renting? It's a way that they can get. Uh, I guarantee you, I have, I have a way for Arena to have all the way back to vintage within the next year. All you have to do is release the script for how like you program in the cards and you just give it to uh, give it to Reddit for magic. And you're like, hey, if you're bored at home and you want to program this stuff for us on the meantime, have fun. And you know that people on Reddit will just be like, yes, 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 yes. And within a year, we'd have all the way back to vintage. I guarantee it. Well, I also think it's the thing they should do and... I know it doesn't quite is in line with what they do on Arena. Just, just I don't care about animations. Yeah, like I don't, I don't care about like you know. By the time that you make one card look fancy, you could put fifty in the game. Put them in. I don't need voices. I don't need. I was playing against someone yesterday, and their microphone was like picking up a lot of the sounds of like them putting their cards down and stuff. And that was so satisfying to listen to. It's like this is all I need. Yeah. You're just putting them down cards. You're like, mm. card down, card drawn, card put down, tick, 
And I'm like, yeah, this is all the sound I need playing Magic. Like, this is fine. Yeah. I don't need, like, Massacre Worm, like, going for a for a quick round around the field. <laughs> making sure everybody gets touched. Like, no, it's fine. It's Corona. Don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, to be fair, they are separate studios or departments that work on these things. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like, Though, you can argue that, like, hey... But it's more like dedicate resources to things. Throw more money at the put cards in the game, people. Well, I was thinking it was just also like, hey, like you're probably gonna i could see them looking at this would be like okay well we have this set coming out these are the 15 cards we want animations for and then we're not and we're going to basically time the release of the animations with the way that we're working on this stuff and that's a justification of not working ahead of other things to backlog all the animations you'll need i mean you could do the animations later yeah but they're not going to think that way that's also a thing i mean they've done it in the past i think massacre worm didn't have an animation at first uh, i think chandra uh, i think three mana chandra or six mana chandra like didn't have as many animations when she was put in the game than like a few months later so like yeah animations weren't done but we couldn't really delay the set so here they are now do you remember when uh gilded goose like made the eagle screech when it came in <laughs> yes and everyone was like what the fuck it's a goose <laughs> honk it honks <laughs> but i mean didn't that also tie in with the goose game because so like everyone had the literal like honk sound just stuck in their head all day it was great like the moment they'd see a bird they just hear like honk good like in their head and then suddenly a goose shows up and it doesn't honk and it just like rubs you the wrong way it's like this should honk and it does now do you think that's the first person who built a car thought that too this should honk <laughs> <laughs> can we move on <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> that just suddenly came to mind <laughs> i'm just imagining a really sad guy sitting in his brand new car that he just invented for the first time ever he's like this is amazing this is going to change the world but i feel like it needs to honk <laughs> it's missing something <laughs> <laughs> like the Jeremy Clarkson meme with the cars. It's like I love, I like that, but I love this. And they just hear like honk. He's sitting in his car all says like I just don't get it. It's missing something. I, what could it be? Like it has everything. It, it this solves the issue of walking. We don't need horses anymore. And he's like, but what does it need? And all of a sudden he looks off in the distance and he sees a pack of geese going hark hark. And he, he's like, my George, we've got it. <laughs> Now, how do I put this goose in my car? <laughs> he doesn't even think of it. He's just chasing the goose. He's like doing the Flintstones. Where, where they, they have like the bird that they like squeeze to like make the sound. Of it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, all right. On that bombshell. What other cards do you think are good? <laughs> yeah. What have you been playing with? Yeah. You've tried out some cards. Yeah, so... um so I've been playing with uh, with elves the past few days. I've been trying to get a few matches in with elves. And um not trying to brag, but I won all of them. <laughs> because Elvish Warmaster slaps. Like, I really underestimated that card. And by the way, this also had to do with uh, good draws that I played against a Lotus Field opponent. And they got mana screwed two games in a row. And I, Sylvan sc- I thought seized their Sylvan Scrying, which just made their entire hand fall apart. But... So that had nothing to do with the elves. I could have been playing any deck with Nazis. Anyway, the elves are actually pretty good from Kaldheim. Uh, I'm playing all of them. Just all the cheap elves that were... Well, not all of them, but like most of the good cheap elves are put in a set. I'm running uh, Elvish Warmaster as a 4 of at the moment. 
um, what's it called again? Scar Scamfar Scamfar Avenger, the one that draws a card whenever another elf dies, and uh, Harold is in the deck, and Realmwalker is in the deck, and all these cards are actually pretty good. Now, I don't think it's gonna make elves like a tier one deck or something, mostly because elves still lacks that unfair element, where if if they had, for example, we're gonna bring it up again. Let's say they had Canopy Tactician for three mana, and it was restricted, like tap for three green, spend this mana only to cast elves or activate the ability of elves. Or Elvish Warmaster's pump ability wasn't seven mana, it was like five mana. Like it, it, a lot of the cards are fairly safe, but it has given elves a much better, better like basis to build on. So the next time we get any elf support, and they print something like I said, like the Canopy Tactician being like three mana or something, really something to push the deck over the edge. It now has a good basis to cover. Because compared to cards like Heritage Druid, uh, Druid, like we're never getting Heritage Druid in Pioneer. Cards way too good. And that really was like a big powerhouse for the deck. I doubt we'd ever get an Azuri reprint. I think Elvish Arch Druid is reasonable for the future. That could be like that sort of unfair or at least like super powerful big card the deck could need to like really have these nut draws. But now the fundamentals are good. Whereas before, it was kind of a meme deck. Because it was an aggro deck that like folded to every sweeper. Like, you sweep them, they lose the game. But it wasn't fast enough to actually go under anything. And through Scamfar Avenger, um, Elvish Warmaster really drawing removal out. Uh, Realmwalker and Harv, um, Harald, it just has this grind element, which it didn't have before. While not becoming like any slower, really. So it just it's really been a nice improvement for the deck. It's a lot of fun to play. And I think it's decent, right? If I get the chance to play our Pioneer Weekly tomorrow, I will probably be playing Elves. And for anyone who wonders about my list, it is on my Twitter, which we will surely plug at the end. Another card, speaking of Twitter, another card to talk about, which I've seen a lot of talk about on Twitter, is the card Dream Devourer. Now, for those of you who don't know, the only thing that matters about the card is that it's a two-drop, and it gives every card in your hand foretell. And its foretell cost is just its mana cost reduced by two, because that's what you paid into the foretell already. And people have just been saying, like, yeah, don't treat this as a foretell enabler. It's a mana dork in black. Like, you play this on two, you foretell your Vorinclax on three, and now you can play a Vorinclax on turn four. Turns out, he's pretty powerful if you play him on turn four. So that's that's a, deck, a a card I've seen a lot of talk about. I've seen people brewing up with like Seasons Past, which is also a great card to have its cost reduced, especially the first Season Past you want to cast. You're probably better off with it not being 7 mana. So that's definitely an interesting card that's going to enable some really nasty things in the future. Like That could definitely be a card that like sets up some sort of combo. And it doesn't set it up in a way of like it makes it possible. It's more like this card can make cards reasonable to play because something like a Vorinclex unless you're like super cheating him out in like a mono green uh, devotion deck it's not a card you'd see very soon because it's just so expensive and the same for a card like Seasons Past or some other combo that might rely on playing like two four mana cards in one turn this card means you don't have to wait for turn eight to do that and in the meantime your cards are immune to hand attack which is also super powerful. So in that way, it's just a really nice enabler. And I'm, I expect someone somehow sort of br- breaks is maybe a big word, but like 
breaks ish this card and does something really nasty with it. I think there's a few cards like that in in Kaldheim. It's such a very strange and unique set that like we talk about how it's been obviously powered down overall in comparison to like Seneca Rising and of course looking back at like Theros and Eldraine. Um it's not on that same level of like breaking formats, but there's a lot of unique and interesting cards that just do things. So the potential is always there for any card to get broken out, especially into the gods. And I, I think Dream Devourer is a really, really cool card in general. This is the cost you pay for having a mana dork. Yeah, it gets pushable, but so are mana dorks. And if we're treating it like a mana dork, then... The thing about it, and it's the same for mana dorks, right? If your mana dork dies, it slows you down. Yeah. That's it. Like, if you're trying to have this combo that relies on, like, playing two four-mana cards in one turn, I mean, yeah, you probably want Dream Devourer to enable you to do that faster. But if it dies, you can't just wait till you've got eight mana. Like, the way Dream Devourer works, just like Mana Dorks, it's not a card that you probably need to have to make something work. But it's going to make something work better. Mm. Like something like Seasons Past that can take a decade before you can actually start casting your Seasons Past and looping all your shenanigans. And now you can start doing that earlier, which is just good. And if they do uh, push it, you still got your stuff in exile for Fortel. Yeah, in case people wonder that, if you Fortel a card with Dream Devourer and it dies, it doesn't change anything. Yeah. You could still cast them for their Fortel cost. It will still be reduced by two. Also, did you know when we were going over Fortel initially... That you can foretell at instant speed? In your turn, yes. Yeah. Yeah, you can foretell. Like on your turn, it's a speed. Yes, you can foretell at instant speed, which is kind of nice. That's weird. It doesn't come up that often, but when it does, it's nice. Just do it on your end step, I guess. I mean, that's true. You can wait till your end step, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Anywho. I like it. Oh, speaking of tribes, though. Oh, yes. There was another tribe that you were t- uh, testing out when it came to paper. There is a card I forgot to talk about, and it's Magda, Brazen Outlaw from Dotmad. Uh, Magda is the Dwarf Lord, and what I've noticed playing Magda is that the the Dwarf deck I've brewed up is almost, like, Kaladesh block-constructed. Like, there's very few Dwarves from Kaldheim that actually, like, don't suck. So, I'm playing some fairly suboptimal Dwarves from, um... Kaladesh that sometimes are like something like Aether Geode Miner, which is a two mana three one, but it's it's got some utility. Right? When it attacks, you get some energy, you can blink it, you can save it from combat, you can um like untap it in your opponent's turn by blinking it and then like crew your heart of Kirin or something. Like there's some utility, but it's not great. When you draw Magda, the deck's actually pretty good. Because whenever you tap a dwarf, gaining a treasure is huge. Like it it can generate you so much mana early on. Especially because it says whenever a, a dwarf gets tapped, which includes crewing a vehicle, which has caused me to run cards like Skyskiff, which are just evasive. Uh, it was just an evasive vehicle, just a two mana two three, but it has a crew of only one. So you can just every time play a dwarf, crew it, play a dwarf, crew it, play a dwarf, crew it. And that means your dwarfs are effectively reduced by one until you no longer need that mana cost reduction. Then you start saving up your treasures, and then you find like an obelisk of Earth, which is like a, a double anthem. Uh, I have one glory bringer. A lot of the sideboard cards I have are artifacts, like Soul Guide Lantern, Graph Digger's Cage, Damping Sphere. And you actually get so much mileage out of Magna, with the obvious problem being, if you don't draw Magna, your deck's bad. So it makes the deck inconsistent, 
because you rely on one card. Like, you're literally just playing Kaladesh block, block Constructed, and Dwarves would probably not be a good deck in Kaladesh Block Constructed, Yeah, let alone in Pioneer. But when you draw Magda, it's crazy. It's beat me a few times. And fun. It's a lot of fun. Doing, like, call it the Magda math, where it's like, play this, get a treasure, and play this, get that one set up, okay, and then I, like, leave this one treasure up, and then next turn I swing with four, and then in combat, because it's at instant speed, Magda's ability, your opponent declares their blockers, then you grab the obelisk of Earth. Like, there's a lot of fun play to it. Also playing a card, uh, Aviary Mechanic, which can do the... Uh, which is just a 2-mana two 2-2, two, two, and when it enters, you may put a permanent back in your hand, and then you can do the fun things like pick up a land and make your land drop, uh, and just do... There's all kinds of like quirky stuff going on in the deck, which makes it super fun to play. But now, it is time for the catch-up mailbag. Woo! Alex, please add the intro. He's talking to our editor, not himself. Yes. <laughs> not like notes to future me, notes to the editor. It is time for the Ketchup Mailbag. Hi. 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 Woo! Woo! Millbag! So we've been, uh, as it slightly neglecting on the mailbag, we've got, I think, approximately, I mean, some of them are like multiple questions. I think we have about 15 questions to catch up on, maybe a little bit less, depending on how we condense them. I don't know if we're going to be able to go over all of them. We're, let's just get into it and just see how far we can get. So the first one is not about Pioneer, and it's a question by Zeth. How do you feel about the new pro player scene and consolidating uh, and the consolidation of support to the MPL slash rivals, which is essentially super platinum in exchange for eliminating gold, silver, and bronze? Do you have a particularly strong opinion on this, Brad? The second, I'm gonna well, let's go to the second part of the question first, which is the consolidating of like the uh, the rankings. That part I don't have a problem with. I think that's fine. It's always nice to kind of streamline things and make it a bit more uh, easy to digest and kind of look at that regard. I will say though, the overall structure in general, uh, going back to the first part of the question, I'm not a fan of because. It's incredibly confusing and convoluted to try and figure out and keep up with uh, what happens when, how important is this X tournament that's coming up? Because they have like mythic invitationals, they have mythic championships now, and like they have all these different things. And their advertising for it has also been really wonky. Like there are people that just don't know that stuff is going on. It's like, oh, this is the world championship. You're like, it's the what? What do you mean? Yeah. And I remember it being really easy to follow the pro scene and be like, okay, they're doing this. This is going to qualify for that. They're going to, this is what this, the significance of this is and that kind of thing. The spectacle and the presentation is phenomenal. I mean, well, phenomenal visually. Um, Some, they have hiccups and stuff like that happens and arena getting a spectating uh, ability or mode would go a long way for the pro league scene. But it's really weird to me that they want their pro level play to be more friendly to the average player. That's what they've been trying to do. Yet they have such a very hard to follow structure 
to like understand when things are and how important things are. And it's, you gotta have to, you have to admit if you're wizards, I don't care how badly you want to be like at the level of like league or CSGO. You can't, you never will because magic is not a game that a random person can just be on Twitch. Be like, Oh, let's check this out and see what's going on. You, you have no idea what's going on. It has, it's, it's literally, it's gatekeeping. Like the game itself gatekeeps new viewers because you have to learn the fundamentals, not only the fun- fundamentals, but the card pool and like understand like what things do. I mean, it's even you don't understand if you don't have like a good understanding of magic, you won't even really appreciate what's going on. Yeah. So even if you understand the basics, it's still, I think, not great to watch. Like my girlfriend knows how to play magic. She's, you know, she knows how the rules work, etc. She would not be interested in watching the MPL because she doesn't understand. Like, if someone like, you know, I could appreciate someone like, let's say when this initially started around Eldrain, like, I can appreciate, like, hey, Andrea Mangucci's on the play and, you know, goes goose, plays an Oko, and actually elks his opponent's goose, which might seem really counterintuitive because, like, you're just giving your opponent a 3 3 to start hitting your planeswalker with. But like, yeah, but he has his tempo gain and plus twos anyway, like blah blah. I can appreciate that. Lots of viewers don't. Yeah. And it just makes it for a very it's it's kind of a viewer unfriendly game anyway. And especially as you said, compared to like Counter Strike or League of Legends, it's not a mechanical game. And mechanical games can be great to watch. Like, again, you don't have to understand League to like understand if someone like 1v5s a team and you're like you the only thing you have to understand is there were five people one dude get it got in all five died and that one dude is still there this is probably impressive yes right if you watch csgo and you watch someone like make a headshot across the map and you didn't even see the guy and like you they clutch like a 1v4 and like the casters because even like just the excitement in the room right it's never, if you see someone like clutch a 1v4 in a CSGO game, the crowd and the casters will lose their minds, mm-hmm. right? That's generally not a thing that happens in your average Magic game. Yeah, it's hard to convey that type of level of emotions because it's just... Yeah, like it's... It doesn't reach that. And it sounds it sounds bad, but like Magic is just not that exciting, right? It, it never like, or like it doesn't convoke like that much of a response from you because at the end of the day it's a card game yeah right nobody wins a game of monopoly and like goes up to a chair yes and starts like running around the room and it's like it's a game of monopoly dude <laughs> calm down right Hooray, you won mini capitalism <laughs> so like it just it doesn't work that way so maybe they shouldn't treat it that way yeah it's in a similar way that world of warcraft really tries to be an esport it isn't right PvP kind of works, but like watching people like throw their heads against a wall trying to kill a boss for three hours doesn't make for an entertaining esport, right? So don't try and make it an esport in that way. I'll put it this way chess gets more viewers. That's saying something. But then again, getting into it, most people on the planet know how to play chess or understand the basics of chess. You can at least get into it. Yeah. Yeah. And you get it, right? If you watch someone outplay someone in chess, you're like, okay, at least I like, I know what the pieces do. So I can understand, like, hey, 
this guy has 12 pieces, this guy has three, the guy with 12 pieces is probably doing very well. Mm. In Magic, you can be the guy with three pieces, and you might actually still be ahead, because your opponent's at three, and you just drew a lightning bolt, and you killed them. Yeah. But that doesn't convey to an audience very well, to a new audience. Now, I'll be honest, and most of the pro scene, I don't really care. It's to an extent also because they play standard and historic at the moment. There's very few, at least before there were some with modern, now with the pandemic, it's all historic. Um, it's all standard and historic. I don't really care. And I'm a little bit bummed, and I'm not bummed that they eliminated gold, silver, and bronze. It's just a lot of the other things. So I really like the idea of nationals that we used to have which is like this big tournament you work towards, you get your Planeswalker points. Since I've been playing, the first Nationals, I think I wasn't playing for long enough, so I just didn't have enough uh, Planeswalker points. The second one, I wasn't there, so I missed it. The third one, there's no Nationals. And it bumped me out, because even though I've never been, I still thought like, well, Nationals, right? It, it sounds really cool. It has this cool ring to it. That's gone now. Yep. The World Championship is no longer structured like how the world championship used to be structured like one of the guys who played in at least like a couple years played in team the netherlands was one of the guys working at an lgs here and it was like so cool to see like team the netherlands and be like hey i've seen that guy at a tournament once like this is awesome right and then they like beat the u.s team and you're like yeah yeah netherlands but anyway like that was just cool it's a cool thing to rally behind and even then right this Going back to like watching it from an outside perspective, literally just like my country beat your country is something you can get people with. Like people who don't understand the game, if they see Team Dutch beat Team Belgium, they understand like, hey, this good. Dutch team win. And even that's gone now. It just seemed like they've like they've like eaten so much to feed the MPL, and in the end, no one cares. And they also miss so many marketing opportunities. Yeah. I think if you listen to the uh, MTG Rants podcast, they have talked about this before. Like, why can't we like find deck lists easily? Why can't I have Emma Handy on a sleeve? Right? Like, they they literally have the pictures. They could just put them on sleeves, right? Oh, I'm a big fan of Andrea Mangucci, which I am, by the way. Like, I would love to have Andrea Mangucci on a sleeve. If not to support him, it's just for the memes when I play against friends because we're all really big fan of him but we do always like the video entrances right like even then like give us more engagement with the MPL I think in League uh, I think they sometimes give out random pack codes but if you, in League of Legends you literally get in-game currency for watching the world championship it, it just tracks it says like you get coins for this event by just watch a VOD you don't even have to watch it live. Watch a VOD of the World Championship. Now, sure, you could just put them on in the background, play a game of League of Legends, and at the end you suddenly get the reward for, quote-unquote, watching the VOD. But it still might get people to watch it. In League of Legends, too, if, when the World Championship comes around, you can do a, uh, a pick'em, they call it. So just, like, pick who wins, right? Can you predict the tournament? And you get a lot of rewards if you do. Just, you know, shove the interaction with the MPL down our throats in a... I suppose more pleasurable way than actually just shoving it down our throats but like make us care because i certainly don't they did a, a challenge thing where you had to pick like who would win i think a few months ago 
And I remember I picked... Wasn't that just like who wins the whole thing or something? It wasn't particularly... Yeah. I don't remember it being very exciting. It, yeah, but you got prizes like on, on Arena for it and stuff. Like you got something. Um, I remember I picked, uh, picked Yellow Hat. It's a good pick. Yeah, but Nasif is a safe pick. If you think who will win this randomly, Nasif is... I, I would put my money on Nasif. I believe Autumn Burchett won that one. I think that's what she won. I don't remember. But moving on to the next question, because we I hope we've done your questions justice, Seth. I believe we did. Moving on to a question by Exile Mage, saying, do you think something like Popper Horizons would ruin the format? Now, we have talked about this, so I will try and keep my answer short. Yes. I really have a strong dislike for Modern Horizons and what it did to Modern, and it's for one reason. It's for a quote-unquote simple reason. If you print a set into Standard, it's fine if five cards make it to Modern, right? If we get call time and like 10 cards make it into Pioneer, that's fine, right? It's Maybe the set's a bit of a miss, but it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, right? If you print a full set exclusively for Pioneer, you better make sure that nearly every damn card is a hit. And what does that mean? Because otherwise it doesn't sell, and otherwise people don't care about your set, because it doesn't apply to standard. So if not most of your cards are hits, your set sucks. Result? Ridiculously powerful cards. Astrolabes, Ice Fang Quaddles, Renan Sixes, Hogags, Force of Negations, all those stupid cards that like have to be in the set, because otherwise the set doesn't work. And I don't want a Pioneer Horizons, aka modern, like Modern Horizons, that prints like a billion cards that I either hate or got banned in like three months because they were brutally overpowered. I don't want that. I just don't care about the shakeup. Uh, I like the natural evolution of formats. I don't need to have this like ham-fisted evolution of your format. I will say um, to go to their original question about Popper Horizons, um, which oh. I read Pioneer Horizons. It w- I suppose, don't they always apply to Popper anyway? Modern Horizons just gave us commons for Popper, right? Yeah, uh, ex- uh, what's it called? Exfemerate is a, is a really big one for Popper. The the blink one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And wasn't there like, isn't, isn't Magmatic Sinkhole a common? Yeah. I would love that card for Pioneer, by the way. I think so. But yeah, it, but if they if they just made straight up a Popper Horizon set, that's I think that has an even worse effect than a Modern Horizons or Pioneer Horizons would because Popper is such a an interesting format already because you can only use commons. So now you're making a set that's all commons. You have to make them powerful enough. That means the set can't be exciting. Yeah. That, that, that might sound rude, but like the exciting cards in a set are the rares in the mythics, right? With the interesting effects, the face cards, the yeah. blah, blah. Would they have to make a pseudo rarity for that set alone, like to have like a rare and mythic slot, but they're still commons legally? Because that, that makes it so weird, right? I guess. Also, if we're talking about having to make cards too powerful, what about Popper Horizons? Yeah. Like, Popper is one of the more powerful formats there is. Because there are some sick commons. Ponder, common. Preordain, common. Gush, common. Yeah. Tron is common. Like, there are some ridiculous commons out there. So how on earth are you going to fill a 256-card set with commons like, you'd need, like, Lightning Bolt Bolt that is, like, two mana to deal six. Lightning Herb Bolt. Uro at Common. Uro at Common. 
but he doesn't gain life. That's it. Everything else works. And also, they've been downgrading cards. Like uh, Black got cast down. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, recently for Popper. Yes. Which is fantastic. Then just at that point, just give him fatal push. I I think. So I already don't like Horizon sets, so I don't care what format it is for. Uh, Popper Horizons hate it. Modern Horizons hate it. Pioneer Horizons hate it. Standard Horizons, wait, that's just a standard set. Vintage Horizons love it. Vintage Horizons, yeah. I mean, that format's messed up anyway, so you might as well make it worse. A, a booster box of Vintage Horizons is $20,000. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I think Popper Horizons, you may want that, but you don't. Hogak and Popper. <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not at this point? Common Planeswalkers! Yes! That's where we would finally get Common Planeswalkers as Popper Horizons. What would they do? They could just be like, oh, actually, uh, I've talked about this with someone at a time. I'm pretty sure what I know a Common Planeswalker would be. And it's Planeswalkers that instantly downtick to kill themselves to do one thing. So you could have like a two mana planeswalker that enters with like two loyalty and it minus two to lightning strike, and it would just you can either have this more value or you play it as like a sorcery speed lightning strike. I I guess that's what like a common planeswalker would be, but again you don't want popper horizons. You really don't. Nobody wants horizon sets. Nobody should want horizon sets. Wizards should not make horizon sets go away. <laughs> so the next question, and this was by uh, Emiron. And this is a perfect display of our slight negligence of the millbag. Formerly known as uh, Circio. Yes. Because over the course of, I think, like a month, he's asked approximately five questions about snow. First, it's like, and the first one I, re- I read was like, it is confirmed we've got snow in Kaldheim. And I'm like, that's a while ago. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> Holy shit. So some of these questions. <laughs> Are you guys excited for snow? <laughs> so. These questions are Sergio, or in this case, Emerald, we love you. Thank you for the questions you're sending in. I will try and consolidate them a little bit because some of them no longer apply. Like, do you think we will get a lot of snow cards? I mean, we can count them up. We got like 12. (laughs) (laughs) And most of them are lands. So talk about snow and we're just, what's just your take on snow? Do you, first, do you like snow? Do you think snow is going to have an impact? Uh, let's see, we're going to confess. First of all, do you like snow as a mechanic? Yes, I do. If it's done in a proper way that isn't like... I think the way Kaldheim did it is that power level is fine. I just wish we got more cards at that power level, and then snow would be perfectly fine for Pioneer and things like that. I wouldn't be like, oh my god, this is so awful. But in the sense of where they, where they go over, overboard... Like uh, with uh, Astrolabe and Ice Finkwaddle and things like that. Ice Finkwaddle. Um, not a fan. But I could say that about any mechanic, right? I could say that about like energy, or I could say that about Adventures, or if even Fortell, if we're talking about the new sets. Uh, I could also say that about fucking Boast. Waste of a goddamn mechanic. <laughs> I, I think a big thing that people dislike about Snow, and I'm in this camp too, how much do you care about the fact that you can no longer play different basics? A little bit. Like that that is a thing that really bothers me, and I think a thing that really bothers other people. Where it's sort of the the freeness of snow. It's like if you decide to run snow, yeah. it's probably kind of free. Right? If you look at like monogreen stompy, you could just swap all your forests for snow basic forests and nothing would change. And you could suddenly run a card like Blizzard Brawl, which you otherwise couldn't, but you didn't actually change anything about your deck, really. 
I mean, imagine if um, if energy in Kaldheim had energy basics. <laughs> so, do you think that snow will have a bit of an impact on Pioneer? None whatsoever. Until the next set, we get snow. I think in the top five, we talked about that too, where it's like, it didn't get enough for it to really matter. Now, next question, I'll start by answering this one about snow. Do you like the snow duels? And I actually kind of do, because I feel like they're done right. In the way that they have the basic land types, which is good because otherwise, like, come on, we're not going to play like Submerged Boneyard and like Highland Lake and stuff. Like, that's just stone cold unplayable. So I'm happy they have the basic land types. Modern players might disagree, uh, depending on how rampant it still runs there. I haven't touched the format in a while. I like them. I think their interactions with checklands is fine. If you're playing a snow deck, it makes multicolored snow decks work better. But because they are suboptimal dual lands, it means snow is actually tied to a cost in a multicolored deck. Now, in a monocolored deck, not it's not that much, right? Again, you play mono green stompy, you swap your fifteen uh, snow land uh, forests for fifteen snow covered forests, and you haven't really had to like make a change to your deck and you've probably met the requirement for whatever snow card you're playing i have a but because yeah sorry i was gonna say i have a question about those cards i just thought of um so they come in tapped they're basically just like you know they're fetchable tap lands uh for for duels right yeah what if they they're just like shock lands you can't shock what if they had the text of um like fast lands but instead of three or less it's three or more and it's like these come in tapped unless you control three or more other snow lands. No, 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 because then they just become like competitive lands that happen to be snow. Oh, you're right. Because I think like let's call them slow lands would actually kind of work. I like the idea that them being suboptimal duels means that a multicolored snow deck has an actual cost tied to it. You know, like Graven Lore isn't just Jace's ingenuity that's better sometimes. Or if you want to make it work that way, and you want to make your mana work, like there's two ways you can go about it. You can run fewer duels, which makes your mana base worse. You can run tapped duels that make your mana base worse. This means that snow is now tied to a cost. And I think if snow is a deck building cost, I have no problem with snow as a mechanic. Because we don't have fetch lands. Right? In modern, due to fetch lands, snow doesn't really have a cost and astrolabe made this like far worse where it just felt literally free to put snow in your deck like zero cost all the reward and that's bad that's another common that popper had was astrolabe (laughs) astrolabe oh yes god um but like so if snow is tied to a cost i think it's fine and the snow duels do a good job of tying a cost to playing snow and I think they tie snow together in a very fairly interesting way. People like losing their minds over them having basic land types. It's fine. Right? Fetchable. I mean, I guess. If you're running like three color snow in modern, you're probably interested, but you're probably not even interested at that point. But maybe you are. I mean, sucks to be you, I guess. They tapped. You don't really like to fetch up uh, tap lands. That usually feels pretty bad. No, I know sometimes they run like one or two triomes for like, if you've got nothing to if you've got a triome in your colors and like on turn one and it's like I don't have a play, I'll fetch up a triome and my mana's good now. That's like where it basically sees play. So if there's again, it has a cost. So even though it's a fetchable duel, it enters 
tapped as opposed to untapped for shocks. So there is a cost tied to this, which means it's fine. So moving on to a question by Zeth4. Um, with all the talk of Pioneer coming to Arena, do you feel the Arena economy system negatively condenses creativity? So to put this into different words, are we? does the Arena economy make it so people don't brew? Or don't brew as much as they would potentially in paper or on MTGO. Yeah, unfortunately. Like it's so because all the cards have a cost that are the same, a common is a common wild card. An uncommon is an uncommon wild card. The same is true for a rare and a mythic. The cards are simply worth the wild cards in the rate at which you pull them. That's it. If I want to make a really janky brew in Pioneer. And I look up a lot of the cards that, to make that deck work. Like, let's say your Power Stone Shard deck, uh, Alex and Pioneer. How much does that deck cost in paper? It's like 20 bucks. How much would it cost on Moto? I think it's six ticks. Perfect. So, so for $6 on Moto, you can get your entire deck, right? Yeah. For $6 on Pioneer, you can get f*** all. You mean on Arena? Yeah, not Arena. Sorry. Yeah, for $6, yeah, for $6 on Arena, you get nothing. And you have to put it in sort of like different. Now... Some of the videos that people bring out that like try and quantify what a rare wild card is, just assume like you need to buy six packs. Obviously, you're going to get six random rares in the meantime, so it's not that same cost. But I think it still does a fair-ish job. But it's like, at Arena, I look at the Power Stone Shard deck, it probably contains like 20 rares. So those 20 rares translate to like, I mean, 20 rares to this jank is the same as putting 20 rares into like a meta deck. Yeah. Whereas in paper, as you try and, you know, like you, the, the meta deck, those 20 rares might be like 300 bucks. When on in paper, they are like five bucks for the Power Stone Shard deck. But there's no no conversion here. And in paper, like you or on Magic the Gathering Online, you brew with jank because it doesn't cost you anything. I mean, your cards even have value afterwards. But right? if you're if your janky deck has like you know it's all jank but i cheat out ugin okay i need to buy an ugin then but once i'm done playing the deck i still get to sell the ugin and just use that to like buy my next jank or you could use that in your other uh ugin cheat out deck like yeah like i can have like a mono red cheat out deck with like iron crack feet and i'm like okay i'm bored of that now i'm gonna cheat it out with power stone shard and i don't have to spend like the four rares on the iron crack feet that are now worthless because they're not played in any other deck. And this goes back to our original thing from the uh, getting into Pioneer episode about like the upgrade path. It's not quite as uh, linear as you would think when we were talking about uh, on that episode. But let's say you're making a janky deck and you're like, you know, three fairy would be, would be really good here. It's worth splashing white in to kind of, you know, help keep uh, other things in check to help protect my combo and things like that. And you buy three fairy. And then you stop playing your janky deck and you're like, well, I have the ability to like kind of skew into a more playable meta deck. How much is Azorius control? Well, I need to get the lands and I got to get some other cards. So I got to put a little bit of money into it. But overall, I have three fairy, the more, one of the more expensive cards. I can get Narsets and stuff like that. And like you have the ability to kind of take apart other decks and like put it towards meta decks. And you, that's where you keep your value. Which you can kind of do that on Arena, but with everything starting at a, at the same cost of their respective wild cards, 
instead of trying to make, you know, a jank deck that runs genuinely good cards like three fairy and stuff like that to help kind of hold it together like a glue just the other cards that three fairy goes with in an actual defining meta deck yeah exactly it it takes away the brewing aspect right like why would i spend 30 rare wild cards let's say i usually play like aggro-y tempo-y decks i have no interest in the azorius colors like generally i do not own hallowed fountains or glacial fortresses uh, or three fairies or whatever. But now I'm thinking, hey, I'm building like this mono-white tempo deck. Maybe I can build like blue-white taxes, right? Like get like my spell quellers, my Lavinias, uh, my, I don't know, meddling, uh, reflector mages, whatever format you're playing. And if you do this on Arena, what if it doesn't work? What if the deck is bad? You just spend like 30 wild cards and you have all these hallowed fountains and three fairies that you have no interest in playing anywhere else. And they're just you're just stuck with them. Now can't dust them. Yeah, now dusting is a little bit deceptive too. Like people think, yeah, you could dust. And dusting's nice, but like even the dusting value in Hearthstone's kind of bad, right? Yeah. Like if we just compare it to I mean, you know, to really look at this, there's recent well, a while ago. Pleasant Kenobi made a video, which I think it's literally just told like the Magic Arena economy sucks. Sephron Olive made a video on it a couple of months ago. I think last week there was a video from the professor, and I think it's oh she makes content for Channel Fireball too. Is it Amazonian? I'm not sure if it's Amazonian. Is she the Stonks girl? I'm not sure. They on Twitter. I'm not sure. She made a video. Yeah, Amy the Amazonian. I'm just making sure I got the name. Yeah, she does. She does the uh, hashtag stonks on Twitter every single time there's a uh, a valuable daily deal on Arena, like fifty gold to get five hundred gold, that kind of thing. Oh, she just puts stonks, and then I know I have to log in. Yeah, that's great. I should follow her. Yeah, she always has like a great picture of herself going. I mean, she was she was really entertaining in the video too. So I I haven't really seen much of her, but she seems great. Anyway, they made a video comparing Magic Arena and Legends of Rune Terra. It was outright embarrassing for Magic Arena. It's like all the things she was bringing up. About now, one thing I'll have to add, Legends of Runeterra is a new game. So for example, they do not have formats because it's a new card game. And they always have this great ambition. The same was true for Hearthstone. We are not going to have formats. Every card is going to be playable always. That, that, that doesn't work. It won't work. Legends of, Rune, uh, Legends of Runeterra will have a rotation in like a year. Just like how Hearthstone eventually got wild and how we now have Historic on Arena, we will have a rotation set in Legends of Runeterra. I haven't even played the game. I could just guarantee it to you based on how card games work. They also have the idea they can nerf cards and buff cards. Magic can't. But when it came to the economy, embarrassing. A Legends of Runeterra top tier card. Uh, Legends of Runeterra has a rarity system, just like Magic. And you can buy like gems. And I think it's gems. Or coins, I think it's coins. You buy coins and then you spend the coins on your cards. If you want to. There's even like very free-to-play friendly ways to get it. Much better than Arena. Um, but you can buy specific cards. And every rarity is restricted. So you can only have... It's fairly loose, but I think you can only have like the magic equivalent of 8 Mythics and the rest can be rares. So they can actually calculate... What is the most expensive deck you can possibly build based on rarity? It's like 60 bucks. So you could just look at a top tier deck 
and be like, first of all, if it's so Legends of Runeterra is based on regions. Um, let's say you play like Piltover. I know these from like League of Legends. And you can do sort of like your mastery pass where you base it on Piltover. So you get only Piltover cards. And then you see a cool Piltover deck. You probably already own half the deck just by playing and going through the mastery pass system, which is, I think, free too, or really cheap to get into. Uh, yeah, I think it's free until a certain point. But after that threshold, all you earn is cosmetics. So all the actual like cards and gameplay pieces are free to get. And then you spend 30 bucks on a top tier deck. That's it. It's so easy to get into. Now, it still might run into issues like, hey, I can't sell my cards. I don't know if you can on Legends of Ruterra. I think you can. But it's so much cheaper to just throw some money at it, have a cool deck. I do not want to get into Standard or Historic because I am just saving up for Pioneer on Arena. I log in. I do my dailies. I hoard my gold. I am a dragon. I am just hoarding my gold. That's it. Because I know once Pioneer comes to Arena, I want to brew, I want to build decks, and I don't want to randomly be like, oh, I'm out of wild cards. Let's spend, I don't know, 500 bucks before I can buy a reasonable amount of decks again. It's lunacy, right? It's just not how your game should work. It's not normal for me to spend literally a year prepping for a format coming to Arena so I don't have to spend an unknown amount of money on it. If I knew I could get any deck for 50 bucks, I wouldn't care. I'd brew now. Be like, oh, Pioneer comes out. Sure, have 400 bucks. I can buy eight cool decks. I can buy eight full decks. And if any cards overlap, I can buy more. Yeah. It's frustrating. Also, lands. Screw lands. Lands should be free. Hashtag lands should be free. Yeah, I need to fucking spend wild cards on like my pathways, my shock lands, and stuff like that. That's always frustrating. Like I, yeah, like a set comes out and you lose twenty five, like, you lose like twenty four to thirty wild cards on just the lands mm-hmm. that get put in the set. Like, come on, that's the amount of rare you'll gather between sets playing. You'll get like thirty rare wild cards a set or something when you're playing casually. You just do your dailies. New set comes out. Oh, I need to buy the lands. Poof, all my rare wild cards are gone. I didn't even buy any real cards. I just bought the game pieces. To put it into perspective, I had uh, one Mythic Rare Wild card in my reserves. I had 13 Rare Wild cards in my reserves. And I was going to build the Paradox Engine deck in Historic, but I was going to build the Pioneer version that we have in our format. Um, But the same thing applies. I needed four Kinnon, and I needed four Paradox Engine. So I needed eight Mythics. Actually, I needed seven Mythics because the deck only runs three Paradox Engine. So I had seven Mythics. The rares I can take care of. No worries. Like lands and stuff. I already had I already had all my Emerys. Had my Mox Ambers from playing Cathos and stuff like that. So I already had that part of the deck. How much money do you think I spent to get those seven Mythics? I'm not even going to try and guess. That has to be like 70 bucks or something stupid. It was it was fifty bucks in gems, and I bought I just bought forty five packs of Ikoria to get trying to try and pull Kinnon while you naturally spin the wheel like and you gain the mythic wild cards. I pulled one Kinnon in forty five packs, um, and then I had to spend an additional six thousand <clears throat> gold that I had accrued to get the last few packs to get that one last mythic on the wheel um, to get the uh, the mythics I needed. So yeah, it cost me fifty bucks and six thousand gold, which is what, like how many days worth of quests? Yeah, 
I currently on Arena, yeah, that's 6,000. That has to be like, you get like 500, like 1,000 a day is if you're lucky. And you you get a couple of your wins and maybe you get an expensive quest. So I guess like almost a week, close to a week. Yeah, and um, I currently have, I think I have 60 rares, 40 mythics and 35k gold, which looks like a lot. When Pioneer comes out, it'll probably vanish in like two months and then I'll just be stuck. And I don't want to throw like an exorbitant amount of money at it. I just want to be like, I want to spend X to gain Y. But Arena doesn't work that way. And also it's just stuck on this like digital platform forever as opposed to paper cards that I could just sell. It's it's awful. The like moving on to potentially the next question because we've been gone on for so long, but the wrap up, Brad, it sucks. It does. It makes me sad. I, I wish I could brew, I wish I could like just like pick up a cool historic deck and throw some money at it, but I don't want to because I want to save it for Pioneer. It'll be worse too with like when you have those uh wild cards stockpiled for like Pioneer and trying to think like, okay, do I want to build this deck? But then like fuck, a new set comes out in a month. I cannot build this deck right now because a month from now, what if this deck is just not playable because the meta changes? Yeah, and I'm just stuck with all these cards. Um yeah. next question moving on by Uncle Drew 2. Uncle Drew 2. Is that because Uncle Drew was cheating? Like Uncle Drew, Drew too, whatever. Um, no, Uncle Drew is a is an NBA thing. Ah, I did not know that. It's a it's a like you see ever seen Bad Grandpa from Jackass? Yes, it's like that, but like it's an NBA. It's Kyrie Irving, sure, from the NBA, like pretending to be <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, if you had to take a shot in the dark, what month will Pioneer Masters drop on Arena? Part two: What's your most anticipated card for a historic shakeup? I suppose we'll cut it in two. Um, I think the first one is relatively easy to answer ever since this was uh, asked, because we got sort of the like developer's insight, and it said that Pioneer Masters was in concept, but I believe it was above the summer set. So I don't know if these were like in order of how ready they are, but I would say that is a logical order to put them in. So I guess around the summer, July, something those times. That would make sense. And it's so weird because like, if it comes out in July, then cool. We have a half-baked Pioneer format on Arena Yeah, this year. You probably will only enjoy playing that if you're half-baked. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've played Magic all high. It's not fun. It's actually <laughs> the the least fun experience I've ever had playing Magic. <laughs> like, drunk high, it, it's horrible. So, yeah, around summer. sort of. But that's just for the first Pioneer Masters to drop. Yep. When will we actually have full Pioneer? I don't know, by the time the next pandemic hits? <laughs> 21 22 hey i don't know hey the brazilian strain uh landed in minnesota last week uh for for us so uh hooray pandemic 2.0 without like imagine you're watching a movie like you're watching like avatar right like the the james cameron one and you're the movie is so long that like because that came out in 2000 what eight does nine does nine came out when i was a freshman in high school so it came out in 2009, and it's you've been watching the movie, and it's so long that finally in 2021, when the new Avatar is finally slated to release, the credits are rolling <laughs> for Avatar 1. And then all of a sudden, Avatar 2 just starts playing. That's like this pandemic is going to carry into Pandemic 2.0 without the first one ever ending. <laughs> Great. Oh, it's like the war in the Middle East. Hooray! We did it! <laughs> Oh, great. Uh, the world right now. Anyway, 
what is your most anticipated card for a historic shakeup? I will just not comment. I don't play historic. I do not have a clue. Anticipated card is in like a potential like card that exists already printed into historic. I, I suppose you just want one. What's your most anticipated card for a historic shakeup? So I would assume like they put in like a historic uh, anthology. What's a card you'd want to like? Ooh, that's so, like that's juicy if they put that in. That's tough. Is it Mutavolt to buy in uh, historic? It is not. I would love me some Mutavolt. That'd be great. It would make aggro decks just incredible. Um, I could actually play Mono Black Vampires and it'd be way more functional instead of running the uh, the Zenicar land that gets uh, that doubles or adds two counters. Oh, Crawling Barons. Yeah. Yeah, Moody Vault definitely would be one. Um, I'm trying to think of like what's a good one. Just give us Path. Give us Bolt. Like I'm so tired of them pussyfooting around with this fucking format and being like, "Well, we because they had they had Path and Bolt in Jumpstart, right?" And Thought Skyware, and it was like, "No, no, no, not for historic. It's way way too strong." Meanwhile, you have things like Muxus in the format, and you still have Uro, and that's fine. But then also Fires of Invention and Wilderness Reclamation are not fine. I'm just yeah, but this this is even what we talked about on uh, when we talked about like Poison the Cup. It's like for some reason we can't have good answers, but we can get better threats like every set. Yeah, like, but I'm so sick of them just looking at. What about Mana Leak? Yeah, fine. Give Remand too. Just fuck it. Put Counterspell in Historic. I don't give a shit because I want I want Historic to be the legacy of Arena, and I want Pioneer to take that modern role. That's what I want, and that's what makes sense. Yeah, so you kind of want historic to be like this hypercharged, like yeah, uber powerful format where like people are throwing around muxuses and like you know, like I mean, obviously don't like screw it. Give us lion's eye diamond, right? Like just just go haywire. Well, we we already have pact of negation, so it's like fuck it, counterspell, do it. Also, give us force of negation or force of will. Like I do not care. I really don't. Unmask, reanimate, like, just go wild. Yeah, or uh, Unearth. That's a good... No, Unearth would be actually a good one. Yeah, give us Unearth. That's an easy one. Like, I want more powerful stuff in Historic because I'm... Love me some Unearth. The the old art, though. The hand art. Oh, yeah, I, I have the old art. I, I was gonna I was gonna make uh, Modern Kethys. Ooh. And uh, I was starting to put it together, and what happened? Uh, you know, they just banned Mox Opal, and I was like, not gonna play modern Kethys. <laughs> and then I get, but hey, at least I'll always have it in Pioneer. Oh, oh wait. Like, yikes. Really sad. But yeah, give us more powerful cards in general, up the format power overall, and um, just don't stop being fucking pussies about it. Just give it, give me a cool card. You're fine with Uro being literally 60% of the goddamn format. But you're like, we have to ban Reclamation and Teferi at the same time because they 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 keep each other in check, and we have to no shut the fuck up, Wizard. You're, I I I get it. It's not easy to fucking make a format and like police a format and understand how you want that format to be built. And we can talk about all day our our ideal bans and things like that for Pioneer, our ideal reprints for Pioneer. Like I would want Reman and stuff like that in Pioneer. Um, and I even talked about this with the guys who casted Popper. Like, hey, what, what would be a Popper card you would want to like be downshift in rarity? And it's like, and they were saying like, yeah, it's all it's, it's fun to have these conversations, but like, it just comes down to like, what deck do I like playing? What is my play style? Like, what do I want to be better as a deck? 
So I don't envy Wizards at all because they have to manage a format to be balanced and playable and enjoyable. But God damn it, just put powerful stuff in Historic. You're already teetering the line with so many things and you get scared of just the stupidest stuff. You're scared of Lightning Bolt. You're scared of Fires. You're scared of reclam- uh, Reclamation. Like I understand things like Nexus of Fate because they, those are just not enjoyable at all. It's banned in Pioneer as well. Meanwhile, Tybalt's Trickery. Yeah, but like at least speaking of other fun cards with nice gameplay, <laughs> I but just go all in with it, or actually keep your consistency by banning cards like Uro. That's all. I'm fine with having cards like Uro in a format if you also have cards like Force of Negation or Force of Will or Path, just strong answers that say. Get out of here. Stop that. You just stop that. Oh, I I know a great card for a shakeup, by the way. If we really want to shake up historic, under City Informant. Just bam, oops all spells is a thing now. Yes. Oh my god. I never knew I wanted this <laughs> until now. I'll just f- it. give us Balustrade Spy as well. Give us both of them. And uh, and price is price amalgam in historic? It is not. But that's a card that will one hundred percent have to be in uh, Pioneer Masters. Yes. Oh, they would have to give us also Undercity Informer and Bowser. Mm, I have it. So eventually you'll just have oops all spells. Yeah, I'm a... F- oh, then I have a better idea. What's that? Goblin Charbelcher. Just give us that version of oops all spells. Let's just kaboom people. I, Get out of there. The <laughs> <laughs> store can use a lot of cool stuff to answer your question. And there's a lot of things I would want. But if I could sum it up in one nice sentence is... If you're going to give us Uro, give me all the other powerful stuff that just says, I'm good. I don't need to deal with Uro at all. And then just go crazy. Have fun. And eventually everyone dies so quickly that we'll just up the starting life total to 30. There you go. <laughs> Bad idea. Anyway, um, question by Sir Epic. This is a better question for when spoilers are completely out. Well, glad that we're lazy then. <laughs> but do you, do you expect any shakeup to the Pioneer meta after Kaldheim releases? It seems like it is a creature-heavy set, but with mythic piles at the top of the meta, week in and out, do you think that they will make an impact? Now, I think your point of like, but mythic piles at the top of the meta, I think is like super fair critique. And a very good reason why some of the Kaldheim stuff won't work or won't work to like be top-performing. For example, elves. Uh, elves, dwarves. Uh, I mean, most tribal decks will struggle here, right? Like, tribal decks like can really struggle against these, like, go-huge decks. Because it's like, I sweep you once, you ca- don't have the time to kill me, now I'm going to go Omnath Uro, play Reclamation, Explosion you for 75, you're dead. And I make you draw to 75, otherwise I lose. Like... And I feel like that's fair. I think we've talked about this too. I don't think Kaldheim is the most impactful set. There are some gems like Dream Devourer that might surprise us out of nowhere. Uh, I've heard some very positive response about Goldspan Dragon, which I mostly tried in my Storm deck, but might actually just be a good card outside of it. I played a match against Izzet Dragons, and it was kind of cool. To like see things like Silumgar scorn because you can immediately get that off the double blue. But like there's cool cards in the set. There are some powerful cards in the set. I feel like the format's gonna be fairly minimal. I 
think I agree. I'm trying to imagine what cards like spawn stuff. I I cannot think of an archetype that just because like there's no obvious thing. Like there's no like oh you build around Omnath or like wow we have all these spells that just are that's it. Oops, all spells. Haha. So there's will there be cards like we talked about earlier with the challenges that just pop up in decks and are good? Sure. Will there be unexpected cards that just like we did not see coming as cards and just end up being staples in the format for an existing deck? That always happens. But it's going to probably be when it's all said and done, after people stop trying new cards, it'll probably be like five cards overall. Uh, yeah, I'll go out on it. I'll go out on a, on have a little bit of a hot take. I think, given like how we design cards, and I never expect a deck uh, a set to have zero impact. I think Kaldheim is probably going to be one of the least impactful modern sets we're going to get. Like either probably up until now, since the release of Pioneer, and probably for the foreseeable future, given the power of the deck, uh, the power of the set. And like every set's gonna have some cards, right? I never expect that there will be a set with zero cards entering Pioneer. Yeah. But my prospect for call time, especially because they tried a billion things, so everything has five cards and nothing works, uh, aside from some things, I cannot imagine call time leaving a lasting like impact on the format. Unless in a year we get another snow set and that set is bonkers and then the call time snow cards work. But like now. I think Call Time is going to be the least impactful set we've had since the inception of Pioneer. I don't blame you for that take. Like I can see it. I think does it take away from the fact that I think the set's fine? It's fine. It's it's cool. There's there's nice cards. Just I'm not blown away, and that that's good too. I don't want every set to be Theros. Like please don't. Do you want another uh, hot take? Sure. Strixhaven is going to be on the same power level as Eldrain. Ooh, that's a bold prediction based on little. Yeah. <laughs> I just have a feeling. I have a feeling that this is where they're going to go all out. Where they're going to try something and be like, this must be cool. And then it turns out to be busted. <laughs> yeah. Well, modals are back again on here. And they they said they're going to be on the same consistency in a, an overall like amount as uh, Kaldheim. So I, I have a feeling we're going to be in for some really good stuff. And I, I don't mean like those cards themselves are going to be broken. I mean, in terms of like Eldrain just randomly having good cards for no reason, like Once Upon a Time, Myth, uh, Mystic Dispute, things like that. Like, I, I think that's just going to, yeah, because this is the spell slinging set, right? So we're going to, you have to make some pretty disgusting spell cards and you will. And I'm going to be really sad and you're going to hate your life being a control player. Or love it if I get to play them. If they're going to give me like Mana League, Lightning Bolt, like... I'm going to be happy, boy. If we're right about our prediction that we had last year when we saw the roadmap of like them bringing shards to this and finishing the triumphs. Well, that's the, yeah, that pretty, I mean, man, if I get like a Grixis triumph, I'm already happy. Like, unless they put in something disgusting that just means that like control decks stop functioning. Like, I don't know, like a creature that's also a Dovin's Veto, that's also a Carnage Tyrant, that also has haste. But like, and flash. unless they print something like that, they give me. A Grixis Triome, the set's a success in my book. The whole set could just be, I open a booster and there's 15 Grixis Triomes. And I'm like, great set. <laughs> they Love make it. a Veil Summer that specifically, no. specifically no. targets Grixis colors. No, 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 Brad, don't do this to me. Target player has protection 
from all spells black, red, and blue. It's like it's like four mana, but it's like if target opponent controls an island, a swamp, and a mountain, this spell costs zero. <laughs> <laughs> no, please, wizard. I'm gonna have to cut every mountain from my deck. Uh, that's just how I would solve it, right? I just run exclusively checklands and pathways as my only red sources and be like, ha got you. Guess I'm not running the triome. Oh, poor triome. So, next question by um, uh, Imeron again, so Sergio. Weird question, but I'm curious. Do you guys like Fatal Push? Uh, sorry. Do you guys feel like Fatal Push truly is the premier form of removal in Pioneer? In some decks, it can work a dream, especially in creature decks for combat tricks. But in a deck like Esper Control, like a like an Esper Control shell, do you think push is the best choice, or is there another removal spell you feel is better? That's a very good question. This is one of the better questions we've gotten. Um, yes, I'm going to say right off the bat, yes, for a few reasons. Fatal push will is it? I know it feels like there are a lot more instances where fatal push is just isn't perfect right but that's a good thing we don't want fatal push to answer everything and all things in the format we don't want a one mana arrows downfall exactly now first reason that fatal push is most certainly the one of the, the premier removal spell it is the third most played card overall in the entire format uh tied for third and fourth with uro um according to goldfish number one is mystical dispute which that says all these other things that we that's another podcast that's another entire episode yes number two is thoughtsies at 35 percent, and of course fatal push uro and then aether gust so those right there make you feel weird but then let's look at the creatures top creatures one to ten uro sylvan keratin luris stone coal serpent notion thief shout out to alex it looks like uh you you people listen to you wait so many notion thieves damn number five at 16 percent of all decks Number six and seven, Elvish Mystic and Wenwar Elves. Are they tied? Eight is, yeah, at 16% and at the number of played, 3.9. Yeah, I was really thinking, like, do you think there's some maniac out there who cut one? <laughs> <laughs> I want the one goose. Oh, side note. Uh, I was honk. <laughs> I, I was playing the stupid Pioneer version of the Paradox Engine, and I'm like, I don't have Elvish Mystic. So I had I had to I had to craft three more gooses. I only had one of them because I was like, why would I ever play goose? Um, goose is garbage as a card uh, after you get its first use in that deck with Kinnon. But I will say, by playing the egg, like the golden egg instead of Mindstone, did you know that golden egg is a food? Yes, golden egg is a food. You, it is great. You can crack it with goose and get your mana. One mana counter. It's great. Anyway, uh, number eight is Omnath. Number nine and ten are Monastery Swiss Spear and Soulscar Mage. So, Alex, every single card in this list is pushable except for Sylvan Carrington, unless you have a way to get rid of its uh, hexproof. I mean, with Revolt. Yes, with Revolt. Right, and I think I think the main point being made here is that you don't, you really don't get Revolt in a control deck. You sometimes run a couple of Fable Passage. True. Not even always. You've got like maybe like a birth of Miletus, an omen of the seas. But honestly, like from my experience, if you put Fatal Push in your deck, it doesn't have revolt. It's one black mana, destroy target creature with CMC two or less. And that is perfectly okay. Because we're playing in eternal format. One and two drops is where it's at. You need to be killing those Llanowar elves. You need to kill the 
uh, favorite hoplite before next turn they turn around and slap you in the face for 25 damage, right? Like you, you, you can kill a shark token. Um, you know, so I mean, sometimes you trigger revolt after like kill a planeswalker or something. So it even comes up. Oh, here's a funny story actually, uh, very quick about triggering revolt on Fatal Push. Someone I play in this was Pioneer was just out. Uh, I think this was like it was like a month old. I went to my LGS and I played against someone who played Abzan. So it was Abzan versus Grixis. Like, how grindy do you want it to get? It was Nicol Bolas's versus Siege Rhinos. It was a fantastic game. Nice. But I have a Nicol Bolas on one loyalty and he has a Siege Rhino. He looks at my hand, he thought seizes me, and finds a dick through time and a fatal push. But my opponent thinks out loud. And trying to think about what he wants to pick, it's like, yeah, but if I kill the Bolas, he can push the Rhino. And I was sitting there like, wait, if you kill my Bolas, I can push the Rhino. I completely forgot. (laughs) But because my opponent thought out loud, I was like, (laughs) I can't actually. And I was like on six. So he wanted to kill my Bolas because he didn't have another threat. But if he would have hit me, I would have died to a random Rhino, which actually happened because later on he dropped another Rhino and I went down to three. So if he wouldn't have told me, I would not have pushed his rhino. Nice. But because he was thinking out loud, like, yeah, he pushes my rhino. And I was just thinking, like, keep a cool face, Alex. You knew this. You were aware of this. Don't give away to your opponent that they just won you the game because they read your cards and you don't read your own cards. <laughs> but hey, you see Nickel Bowles in your hand, you're like, I get to do things with Planeswalker. <laughs> that is all yeah. Grixis does. <laughs> This is two for one now. <laughs> yeah. But going back to the point of Fatal Push, even though it hardly ever revolts, the speed really matters. And to the main extent, the speed matters on the draw. If your opponent goes turn one Llanowar Elf and you look at a hand with two Heartless Act and three Eliminate because you're like, this hits more things. Yeah, except it doesn't hit this Elf right now and you're dead. right? Because you, you need the tempo. I tried trimming Fatal Push. So like, three or two i think three is excusable i went out of two i was like this is awful i'm being run over i've seen these demir control decks running like one push in the main one push in the side it boggles my mind how these decks even work they they just never see a green player ever in their life yeah they just apparently they never see lanowar elves on turn one and their opponents always starts on an oath of nissa like how do the, how do these decks work and that just like, yeah, it, it, I don't know what else to add. Push is great. Push is just great. You need the one mana. It is great. Uh, the one mana interaction is great. It also means it becomes significantly easier to double spell. And unlocking the ability, uh, quote unquote, unlocking the ability to double spell is really important. Like sensor push, eliminate push. Uh, up to turn two, I can even like, you know, turn one thought seize. Like if I'm on the play, turn one thought seize turn to push your you play a one drop i push it i cast an opt like getting like double spell filling the graveyard fueling that dick through time or something else is all super important and especially i have noticed fatal push becoming a much better card since so many other control players started running shark typhoon because it actually has a target now yeah like i have won game once um i've had opening hands with like three fatal push i'm like oh this is great now my opponent goes, turns one Hallowed Fountain, go. And I'm like, guess I'm losing. And I actually ended up casting every Fatal Push in my hand 
to protect my planeswalkers from sharks, and that won me the game. And I was like, this card is not even dead in this matchup. Yeah. It's not even dead against blue-white control now. Like, Fatal Push actually just becomes, I mean, it's an eternal form, and of course it does. Every set that comes out, Fatal Push becomes a better card, because the average CMC will go down. Because every time they print a good one-drop, unless they print, like, stupid four-drops like Omnath, but generally speaking, every time we're going to print a one-drop or a two-drop, the average CMC in Pioneer will drop, and more and more cards will die to unrefolded Fatal Pushes. So it's the premier removal now, and I can never see it not being that. I agree. The only exception is Bloodchief's Thirst in very specific decks. If your deck is much more sorcery speed-based, you will probably sometimes like a Bloodchief's Thirst or a combination between Push and Thirst, like a 2-2 split or something. But I can never see Fatal Push not being one of the better cards in the format. It's great. Great card. One of my favorites. I mean, Rip Tarmogoyf. Oh, Fatal Push is one of my favorite cards now that I got the Altar Sleeve, where the guy is actually being pushed. Oh. Rather than kicked. Look it up, Altar Sleeves, great website. And they have a Fatal Push one, and it's just, it slightly alters the art. Instead of being kicked, he gets pushed. I just love... And now it's an actual Fatal Push. I just love my FNM promo Fatal Pushes. So great. I have those two. Not the biggest fan, but I have them to just like be able to like tell them apart. I've got the Fatal Push ones with like the Altar for my Grixis deck. And then my Fatal Push FNM promos just like go around all my other decks. I'm not a big fan of the, uh, what's it called? The uh, modern. Uh, or... Where you see like the uh, the aftermath of uh, yeah. the guy from the original art like falling. Yeah, I like it, but like I, I don't like it enough to go buy them. You know, what I, you know what I do like a lot, though, that I would like to go buy? The Yargle Fatal Pushes from the secret layer. That one's nice. I like the Yargle Fatal Pushes. You know what I think is an opportunity they missed with the follow-up Fatal Push one, so the new one where you can see the guy like falling off? What's that? That Instead of a Fatal Push, that should have been a reprint of Tragic Slip. <laughs> and instead of being like, this is the guy being pushed off the boat. No, 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 this is a different guy. He he fell. Bye-bye. He messed up. He done goof. Yeah, great card. One of my favorites, and I will be a, it, it'll be a sad day in Pioneer when it's actually not a good card. Yeah. I, I think that would be a strange uh, sight for the format. If Fatal Push is no longer a good card in Pioneer, either the format is amazing, but much more likely something fishy is going on. Like, we're all throwing, like, five mana haymakers at each other because someone at Wizards done goof and put Ancient Tomb in a set. Uh. Like, it's going to have to be something like that before this happens. All right. Um... I'm going to flip two questions around because one question might require its whole separate episode, which Brad and I have talked about, but we'll see if we can touch on it quickly. But first, moving on to this question, again by Amiron, so Cicero, what are the decks that you two love to hate? In other words, what are your MTG nemesis? Nemesis? <laughs> Nemesi. <laughs> I guess it's nemesis. I was like, nemesises? That sounds wrong. He, he also wrote nemesis. Um... Well done on being better at grammar than I am. I don't think I, I mean, it was Lotus Breach before the ban. Like I just jammed four damning spheres, my sideboards everywhere because I hated that deck so much. Like I hated Lotus Breach so much. And every time you saw an opponent start on like, like a, uh, what do you call that? The... No, like the stage thing, the um Oh, Thespian stage? Thespian stage. You're like, okay, cool, scoop, you go to your sideboard, you put your four damage in. <laughs> well, sometimes you can beat them, depends on the deck. Like I, I remember when I was playing 
my uh, my Jund Delirium deck, and I was like, yeah, uh, this deck is just a tad bit too slow for uh, for Lotus, but not if I have four damage spheres in the in the board. And uh, I I moved the four damage spheres of the board because I hated playing against the deck so much. I never lost a match to that deck again when I was on Jund. <laughs> it was great. It was the greatest feeling I've ever had. And then I just I loved the matchup then because I was like, yeah, we gonna do. You know, wilt it. I have another one and another one and another one. Oh, look at that. I have one more. <laughs> and now I thought sees you and your answer is gone. Yeah. You lose. Outside of that. And even now, like Lotus Field now with Breach being gone, I don't mind the deck. Like I like. I do. I hate the deck. <laughs> I truly, truly hate the deck. It just feels like I am never prepared for this because like it's not enough of the meta then like yeah i'm gonna have the room to like jam three damping sphere especially in my control deck and every other deck like my elves deck and stuff i just always throw two damping sphere in the sideboard like how all my blue decks have 12 slots because of mystical dispute every other deck i have has 13 slots because there's at least two damping sphere in it because screw <laughs> lotus field yeah i think it's i think it's fine now that's into the appearance of the abyss combo and with like running brawl and stuff but Outside of that, I'm looking at the list. I mean, I guess it always feels bad to play against 8-Rack, but 8-Rack is also one of those matchups where you either just get steamrolled or you steamroll them. There's no in-between. Yeah, completely depending on your deck. Yeah, there is no, like, it's sometimes even with the same deck. Like, even if you, like, if you go 10 times against 8-Rack on a certain deck, half the time you'll just absolutely destroy them, half the time you get wrecked. Like, I've had that happen. But I don't think there's any other deck where I'm like, you know, God, I hate this deck. Oh, you know, I will say Monobu Tempo. Monobu Tempo is miserable to play against. Like, I don't think I've ever had a fun game playing against Monobu Tempo, but I've had a lot of fun games playing Monobu Tempo. <laughs> I've had a lot of fun decks against Monobu Tempo, depending on how low I kept my curve. I've gone into tournaments in, like, standard with uh, Monobu Tempo in the format. It's like, okay... I'm going to take every one mana removal spell I have in these colors and all my duresses, and now it's actually a fun matchup because it's now close. Yeah. But when you fall behind, it's miserable. Oh, yes, it is. My, uh, but I actually really enjoy the first few turns against Mono Blue Tempo with the idea of like, are they going to like tap out for their, uh, are they going to tap out for like to get that's uh, the Curious Obsession on? They're going to have like two pieces of interaction. Like, there's, there's like this really like back and forth of you trying to like struggle to like I cannot have them have this curious obsession, and if you play against a good mono blue tempo player, those first few turns can be interesting, and then it is they stuck it no good job the control player won they did good job the blue player won let's move on, but for my deck that I uh, I love to hate, and I'll, I'll I'll say love to hate a little bit differently, it's a deck I really appreciate. And I always end up, like, looking back on it, it's like most of the matchups against this deck are actually fun, but it's infuriating to play against sometimes, and it's big red. Or uh, more like the Hazaret aggro deck, too, in standard at the time. Mono-red decks are, like, super healthy for a format because it's always, like, the police deck. Like, if you dirtle too much, you're going to get killed by this mono-red deck, which I think is a good thing for a format. And generally, especially when they lean to be more creature-heavy, like Chonky Red, or Big Red, however you want to call it, the matchups are like almost always close when I play them. So they're pretty much always exciting, and every decision matters. 
So sometimes you can like run over by Bowman Courier that draws you twelve cards, and you're like, ah, like I hate this. But most of the time, you act. I actually end up having super interesting matchups against mono red. Yeah, and I actually think it's a deck I like. I overall really appreciate. In a similar vein, Boros Burn, but it can be frustrated when you've got like removal dot hand, and they just have like Boros Charm dot hand. And you're like, this wasn't fun. <laughs> oh yeah, four damage, four damage, four damage. You're like, huh? Ow. <laughs> This is why I started running Collective Brutality. No, but uh, overall, Mono Red. Uh, one fun thon match that I thought of when we talked about Mono Blue. This again, me playing early on in the format, playing uh, Black White Rally Zombies. And I play against Mono Blue Tempo. I play a Crypt Breaker on turn one, a Crypt Breaker on turn two. And I didn't cast another spell for the rest of the match. I went entirely off Crypt Breaker. Because I was like, well, your counter spells don't do anything if I don't cast spells. <laughs> so I just went completely off Crip Breaker, Crip Breaker, Crip Breaker. Game ends. They show me a hand with like two Wizards Retort, two Essence Extraction, and like an Essence Scatter. It's like, you didn't play any spells. <laughs> and I was like, that's the point. <laughs> that was such a weird match. I mean, if they drew like two Curious Obsession, I would have been buried. Yeah, just... I think they had one, but I was just making more zombies and drawing more cards than they were. And I just overwhelmed them with zombies. It was such a strange matchup. And I felt so big brain, where I just had this moment like, wait, they can't counter my spells if I don't play any. Established board. Just kind of get in there. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think I'm just going to ask the last question and give some of the response. Well, one of the main responses I read. Because for some reason, you guys in the mailbag thing managed to have conversations in a room with a six-hour delay. It's like, you guys probably have like pan pals, right? And you're like used to this, <laughs> to have like super long drawn-out conversations because of the pauses in between. However, foam a while ago, and someone else reiterated, uh, reiterated on this same question later, and he just said, Uro is 40% of the mana. Time to ban it. And we got a response from Sean B, which I thought was an interesting take. Won't banning Uro shake up the meta too much? If it's in 50% of decks, I mean, it eventually went up to 45, I think it's currently, and like we don't know where it ends up after call time. So wouldn't getting rid of Uro cause too many people to lose their deck and lose interest in the format? And I think that is a interesting and very worth considering take. Now, at the moment, I wonder, and this is something like, I don't know, I don't even know if there's any way to find this out through Wizards. How many people actually own Uros in paper for Pioneer? Because, you know, Theros came out. We had like a couple of months of paper magic, and then. Rona happened. So, how many people actually own? Like, it's fifty percent of the meta, but almost all our meta game data is MTGO meta data. So, I think the point about at what point are we too late to ban a card? I think there is such a thing as being too late to ban a card. Um, but I really think it's worth looking at. Like, that's MTGO. A lot of people have like rental services and stuff. They they aren't this impacted by it. So, 
are we already too late? Or is this actually the last time we can do it? Because I feel like if we go back to Paper Magic, a lot of people are going to buy Euros, and then we ban it, you might have just killed your format. If we do it before people go back to playing Paper Magic, and plenty of people either don't have Euros, or otherwise, people would be thinking, I don't want to get into an Euro format, and then right before we go back into Paper Magic, Wizards is like, no longer an Euro format. And it might actually cause an increase in interest in the format now that it doesn't have Euro. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know the answer. And I really hope Wizards does. Because this is, and I think I want to have your take on this, Brad, but what I just said, I think is, yeah, I, I really feel that way. We are either now at like the breaking point. This could be the perfect time to ban Euro, or the worst time to ban Euro. I think there's no in-between. If you ban him now, you either do a lot of good for Pioneer, or you might kill it. It's really tough. Uh, let me go with the first comment that he made first, in referring to the uh, too many decks being banned from underneath them, right? Let's look at the top few decks in Pioneer. Three of them play Uro. In the top yeah. 10. Oh no, top 12. Three of them. Now you can argue that Wilderness Reclamation is three decks on its own. So let's say then you bump that up to 15 decks. So then it's five decks out of 15 that play Uro. Wilderness Reclamation, Four Color Omnath, and Niv to Light. The deck that gets hurt the most by that is probably Four Color Omnath, and then second Niv to Light, and Wreck can function without it. Um, well, and Sultai isn't mentioned here, but it's probably a deck that a lot of people own. Like, if we're thinking of Sultai players, are the type of players to now own Sultai foiled out in paper. It's like Jun players in modern. No, I agree. Though with Sultai, I think uh, I think Egon could actually be a, like, in a, if you go back to like the Delirium idea, could replace Uro as like, yeah. like you know, nice. it's not perfect, but it functions. So I don't think it's necessarily accurate to say like, oh, it's ruining these decks for people. To go back to your point of like how many people actually own paper Euros in Pioneer, I don't think a lot. I think the number is far less than you would imagine. And the ones that do own it got him early enough to where he wasn't 70 bucks at his peak. Because I'm one of those players. Do you know when I got him? About a month after Theros, maybe like three weeks after Theros. It was, it was about 15, 20 bucks. And now he's 40. And he still played in modern, right? Yeah, still played in modern. So I don't think it's the bad time to ban a row. But let me go back to the original question. In your scenario in which we're entering... But do you think that this is the last time we could ban a row? Yeah, and in, in the scenario you're, you're describing in which we enter back into the paper side of things, yeah, I agree with that. But let me go back to Foam's original question of Uro's at 40%. As of the time of this recording right now, he's at 34% of the meta. 34% of all decks play Uro. It's about a third of the, uh, a little just over a third. Is it time for a ban for Uro? I don't think so. I think that's a no. I don't think it's oppressive. I don't think it does anything that makes me like hate Pioneer. Um, yeah. I Are there games where I play against Uro and I'm a little annoyed that like I have to kill this thing 20 times? Of course. But do I feel like it stops my deck from functioning? 
I mean, I'll put it this way. I think Uro 100% should be banned in historic. 100% thinks it should be banned in historic. But I don't feel it has the same presence in Pioneer as it does in historic. What makes the difference? The fact that you have no other powerful things to just stop it. In Pioneer, you have fires, you have reclamation, you have oops all spells, you have lotus combo, you have a much faster aggressive deck in Boros Burn and even the mono red decks. You have a better spirits deck. You have mono black aggro that's actually a competitive deck and can run things like Mutavolt and stuff like that. And it's just overall better than um, the historic version. You have Orzov Auras, where you have that in, in, uh, in historic, but as Azorius Auras, and you have a lot of the same creatures, but the way that Auras works in Pioneer versus Historic, even though it's a lot of the same deck, it just can run over an Uro deck more efficiently than what it does in Historic. I suppose mostly because of Ethereal Armor. Yeah, exactly. So, and then you have just the mid-range deck of Niv to Light just to be able to kind of like, hey, I can, you have an Uro, but I have a Niv and an Uro. Like, the format is much more equipped to either keep up or just flat out say, I don't care. Like how many times have we seen uh, a Boros Burn matchup against an Uro deck, like four color Omnath, for example, and they get down Uro, they gain some life, they ramp a bit and it doesn't matter. They still die because Boros Burn is fast enough to just be like, yeah, you countered one of my burn spells essentially with that Uro, but I still deal 25 damage right now because you're not fast enough. So Pioneer's in a position where Uro is something that's digestible, palatable. You can deal with it. Where Historic, it's just, it is the most powerful thing in Historic. It sounds weird, but it is. You don't have fires, you don't have reclamation, you don't have these other things to be like, we're really good too. A Niv Delight deck doesn't exist because you don't have Bring Delight. You don't have Oops All Spells. You don't have these things that are just... You have Goblins is the thing that stops, that can kind of go against Uro. But to be honest, the Soul Tide decks and the Uro Shells, the Uro Piles, are pretty good against the, the Goblin deck. So Uro's king. Not in Pioneer, though. Yeah, I feel like, because we talk about the decks that Uro goes with. Now, I think Salt, Uro's fine in Soul Tide. I just find it a little bit boring because it's like the deck is mostly an Uro pile yeah, rather than any of the other interesting cards. And I think that's the main thing I have against Uro, that it sort of homogenizes a lot of the stuff you play against. Um, but if I look at like the decks Uro shows up in, I might see other cards that I consider like maybe those would be a problem in the future before Uro is. Like Wilderness Reclamation, uh, Three Fairy, and um, Omnath. I'm like, maybe these cards become a problem before Uro is. So if they now lose Uro, and like in the future, like, do we have to like? I think what I'm going at is like, these decks are good, um, with Uro, but it's not because of Uro existing that these decks are already powerful. So, on the other hand, and this is a counterpoint. If you ban Uro, you take them all down a notch, which might be desirable, without killing them. Right? If you ban Wilderness Reclamation, well, Wilderness Reclamation doesn't work. Does without Uro. Niftalite works without Uro. Four-color Omnath, that struggles. 
right? I don't think four color Omnath would do great without Uro, but it probably could, right? So the Genesis Ultimatum, Bart the Waterville, like go huge type of deck probably works without Uro. They all don't work without their namesake cards. So if you just want to take these three decks, you're like, I these might prove problematic in the future. Let's let's take them all down a notch. Then Uro is the right card to hit in that regard. And you mentioned another card that I forgot. Omnath is also banned in Historic. You know what else is banned in Historic? Winota. Obviously three fairy. Like there are so many cards that are legal in Pioneer that are just like not a thing in Historic. I would also say I don't think and this is this is not trying to bash anyone. I feel like way too many people say like, yeah, the play rate's high, ban it. Yeah. Then we should ban Fatal Push and Thoughtseize too. Mm-hmm. But why don't we, Bill? Because they're fair. They make the format better. Now, I'm not saying that Omnath makes the format better, but I think that cards should be banned if it makes a f- if it's either too powerful or it makes a format like actively unfun to play. Now, and this is me personally, because I feel like in most of my decks, I just come prepared for Uro. Yeah. And I don't feel like Uro like ruins my day. Now, if I play Elves and my opponent sticks an Uro, I have like almost no way to kill it. So I have to like find find a scavenging ooze early, try and eat it if it's in the yard, or just like brute force my way through the cart, which can happen. But I need to either be prepared or be prepared to just lose Stormnath sometimes, which is fine too. Yeah. Right. You can build a deck and just be like, yeah, this isn't great against against Uro. Now, you could probably not do that with Uro because there's too much Uro running around for that. If one third of your games, you're like, yeah, I'm losing because of Uro. But not even all these decks are like hardcore Uro decks, right? Wilderness Reclamation just stumbles into Uro. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't even like mill itself in any way, shape, or form. Same for Niftalite. It just stumbles into, yeah, I could, could cast an Uro if I feel like it sometimes. But like is, eh, I'll cast an Uro. Is that going to be such a big deal? Just This sounds stupid. Just kill it twice. Well, the first time it kills itself, so just kill it once. I've had plenty of matchups where I'm just like, yeah, I need to throw two removal spells at this Uro. Is it inefficient? Yeah. Can I win? Yeah. It's no big deal, really. I'll, ma- I'll make one last comment, and I'll leave it at this. When it comes to Historic, Grafdigger's Cage is a main deck card, right? Like, a lot of decks play it main, and it also is good against Goblins as well. I could main deck Grafdigger's Cage and still be frustrated with Uro and Historic. Oh, it works. It stops him from coming in. But even with maining the hate, it feels like it feels like Hogak. It feels like Hogak Summer. Obviously, it's nowhere near at that level where every single person's main decking ley lines and then still getting ran over by Hogak regardless. Um, but it's at that level where it's like it's it's like it's in that direction where it's like I I main deck things that just hate out this card yet I still lose to the card where in Pioneer I don't we're not at the point where like we need to main deck uh, you know Grafdigger's Cage and stuff like that because like you said aside from Soul Tie none of the Uro decks are truly an Uro deck the only things you main deck here are cards that are kind of fine by themselves like you can main deck Scavenging Goose yeah I don't mind having Scavenging Goose in my main deck in Grixis, I run a Cling to Dust. Uh, my counterspell of choice is Void Shatter, which also has other upsides. But it's like, yeah, I make adjustments to account for Uro, but that's literally how you play this game. Now, this is like 
me for like my final take before we uh, wrap it up. This is like how I just approach talking about Uro. I did try and be like super objective. Like, you know, try not to get let emotions get in your way when you make these types of judgments. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't care if Uro was banned. I would probably be happy that Uro if Uro gets banned. Same for Three Fairy, right? Objectively, I'm not sure if it should be. That's a whole different debate. But I would be happy if they did. But there's a lot of cards for which I could say that. that like, But that's just cards I don't like. And I don't think that's how you should approach uh, if a card should be banned. Because we shouldn't base it too much on emotion until it goes too far, right? They were way too objective with Inverter, and that should have been banned way earlier. But I do think like a lot of people are like, I think half the people who write that Uro should be banned somewhere do so after losing to it. Oh yeah, of course. So like, oh, I just lost to Uro. Screw this card, and then they'll like, you know, and 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 this is not trying to like talk talk crap on like foam or something for asking the question. Oh, oh it's probably salty because he just lost to Uro. No, like it, it's a question worth asking, but I don't. I'm I'm just really unsure. I think. If you want to ban it, again, as I said, you probably should do it now. And that makes me think we probably should for the future. Because it's a matter of time before we get a Thought Scour-like card that's going to be way too good at enabling Uro. And then we're going to have to ban Uro later down the line. It really feels like a card that should one day end up being banned. Maybe better to just get it over with now. So. I would be, should we ban Uro? Probably. But I don't blame Wizards if they don't, and I think we can we can live with Uro. I don't want to, but we can live with Uro. We can adjust. There's answers here. And they could also just print better answers in the future. Right? I know Wizards is like wary of doing that for some fucking reason, but like we can, right? What if Cling to Dust instead had the option, instead of draw a card if it isn't a creature, gain three life if you don't, what if it always said, like, exile a card from a graveyard, then choose one, gain three life or draw a card? I mean, that's a type of thing that could... We've got, like, cremate, right? Like, we could have, like, very good incidental graveyard hate, which, granted, we're probably getting in the future. Or maybe we get another mechanic or another card that actually competes with the graveyard, so it's not just Uro. Right, maybe Soltai gets another good card that is an option, so they're not just Uro dot deck. Right, there's a lot of things that could happen in the future, and I know less about the future than Wizards does. So I would say again, ban it, but I am not I don't care if they don't really. I'm not I'm not very bothered if they don't, but I'd be happy if they did. I mean, or we can get a uh, a worse version of Path. Right? Like a two mana exile target creature opponent gets a search library for a, a land card. Like something. Because what our exile removal is pretty bad, right? Yeah, or uh, what if we get a removal spell that exiles under a certain condition? Like, I don't know, two mana, destroy target creature. This is obviously super ridiculously overpowered. But what if it says something like, I don't know, two mana, destroy target creature if its power is greater than four, exile it instead? Like, I don't know, something like that. And we just, you can get like, Oh, we 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 have that. Yeah, but it's like destroy otherwise exile. It like if it it's like a sort of reverse ferocious. If your opponent's creature has four or more power, it becomes exile. I think we have. I think we do have that though. It was uh, from Ikoria, right? Isn't it just exile? They've got epic downfall. I think. Sure. 
Yeah, but that doesn't work on small creatures. So that's what I mean. Like, what if we have a sort of more universal removal spell, but when it hits, like, a certain threshold, it exiles instead, right? And then that would be a way to deal with it. Or, like, again, more cards akin to Scavenging Ooze. I definitely feel like Scavenging Ooze could be a black card, too. Oh, Epic Downfall is... Uh... Like, something like that. Or, like, a... It's a Formaldrain. Or, or, like, a... a... Oh, okay, but like a variation of like a scavenging ooze, like a fact. I think scavenging ooze is a great card. We should get more cards akin to scavenging ooze, and that that would help too. So I don't think Uro is the end of the world. Um, you can definitely build with Uro in mind. For example, start running Void Chatter in your control decks. Yeah, but I want to get the surveil one of my sinister sabotage. I don't care. <laughs> Run Void Shatter. It also dodges Mystical Dispute. Yeah, you mess up Mystical Dispute and Uro. Two cards that if you play Control, you will probably hate. Run Void Shatter. Yeah, I agree. Hashtag run Void Shatter. <laughs> I'm just going to post a picture of Void Shatter on my Twitter now, just completely out of context. And while you're posting that, I will say I think that's a good place to wrap up this week's episode. We have other questions we can get to, but this is a little bit of a catch-up episode. Also, one thing I do want to add. We do have interest in eventually, uh, sometime soon, doing another live episode of the Pioneer Perspective, and we can treat that as another extended way to, you know, do more questions and also take questions live from you guys. So if you would like to do that, give us a shout, whether it's here on the MTG Home Discord server. But if you want to ask us any questions other than the Discord server, of course, you can go ahead and tweet us. On our Twitters, we have an official one, at Pio Perspective. Mine is at Disciple of Bolas. Again, as I say it every week, main thing you find on there, magic thoughts. And generally, if I brew up a deck, I'll end up posting the list there. Today I mentioned elves, that's on there. I mentioned dwarves, that's on there. We mentioned power stone shards, that's on there. Um, I think goldspan dragon combo is on there. And once I make my Grixis list, like sort of confirmed after a few weeks of call time, it'll probably be there. So that's where you find my thoughts. You can always DM me if you've got any ideas or suggestions for a deck I posted. That's it. And of course, you can also find me at Brad Sefer, B-R-E-D-C-I-F-E-R. And that's the same with everywhere. And of course, like I said at the beginning of the episode, we are an official affiliate now of the Inked, of the, of InkedGaming.com. So we have both an affiliate link that you can click to help us out uh, just by supporting the, the uh, supporting the podcast in general by getting stuff from Ink Gaming, or you can also support us even more by getting our specific merch, which is going to be pretty cool. If you have any idea of like uh, other things besides play match you want to uh, kind of look into, let us know. I did pin to the Pio uh, perspective, the official Twitter the announcement of uh, us getting merch and things like that. And then I did actually respond to it on my personal account to add something. And that is actually in regards to other things that we can create on the uh, website. So I want to say that, you know, besides standard play mats, there are other things you can make as well that if you want to request it, I can have it made and put on the store. Oversized play mats, two player play mats, 36 by 36 wargaming mats, 48 by 48 wargaming mats, classic mouse pads, large gaming mouse pad, extra large gaming mouse pad, extra large extended mouse pad, extra extra large extended mouse pad, play mat bag, two player play mat bag, a 36 inch wargaming mat bag, 
and a 48-inch Wargaming map bag, as well as dice bags, a showcase binder, and a gaming crate. A gaming crate is basically like a, a carrying tote that you can like hold your uh, mats in, your cards, things like that. So if, if any of those sound interesting and you want some more art on those instead of just play mats, let us know. And we'll be more than happy to accommodate you. But with that, I think that does it for this week. We'd like to thank you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face on you and be gracious to you. And may he keep you in his favor. Amen. Praise Bolas. Praise Bolas. We love you so much. Thank you for your support every single week on Reddit, on the Discord server, on everything. You guys mean the world to us. And this would not be possible without you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.